everywhere you go. Refreshes without filling. Why? You carry the fun with you. I never cease to wonder at the many ways scientists have learned to improve on nature. To think just what that means. Of course, it means many things. Each one is a masterpiece of design and beauty. But first, here is your announcement. It's time for the Geeky Brummy Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Geeky Brummy Podcast. Joining me today, Mr. Keith Bloomfield. Hello, Ryan. Uh, Mr. Lee Price. Hello. And Mr. Matt Lovell. Hello, hello. And returning special guests, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Ellesmere Whitney. Hi, George and Dave. It's been a while. Hi. It has been a while. We've got new names. That's really weird. I was thinking then, like, (laughs) oh, wait, who's that? (laughs) 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 Haven't got used to that yet. Yeah, it's like a Gestalt entity's merged together. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How have we all been the last couple of weeks? Keith, you been up to anything exciting? You know me, Ryan. No. Always, always (laughs) at the peak. Wait, who are you? (laughs) No, I think possibly what's the the most exciting thing I've done in the past two weeks was spend a copious amount of time online researching pressure washers and and then buying a pressure washer. Nice. um, Which is fun. And then ever since I bought it, it's rained. Um, So. Yeah. I was going to say, after all that research, have you actually used it yet? Yeah. yeah, I used it about for about three minutes to make sure everything worked, so then it poured down a rain. That's kind of pretty much yeah. done so ever since. You had nature's, <laughs> nature's pressure, pressure washer. washer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, what was your uh, what was your stat stick for choosing this pressure washer? Because, like like the geek that you are, I know you'd have probably had a a full tick list of uh, features and specialities. Like you're making yeah, tell us the loadout, key. Yeah. Well, basically, I've gone for one that looks like a little uh, proton pack from Ghostbusters. <laughs> um, so size, weight, and the way all the attachments just kind of hook into it. So I, I can get some like um, shoulder straps and kind of literally wear it like a proton pack. Um, so um, that's what it is. But we have very low water pressure here, so it, I had to get something that was. Um, are you, are you going to modify this so it makes the proton pack switch on noise when you turn it on? <laughs> I have, I have yeah, considered cool. customising it in some fashion. I'm pretty sure we can get waterproof LEDs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think it was last Halloween I, I spent a long time researching Ghostbusters costumes, um, which was much easier to source if you lived in America. Much more difficult yeah. to mm-hmm. source here. For some reason, mm. the only overalls we seem to sell in this country are, are, are glow-in-the-dark ones. Um, I don't know why, it's, but yeah. You could go with the 2016 reboot and go for the bright orange one. As much as I like that movie, yeah. I'm a traditionalist when it comes to the uh, costumes. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. I'm currently. I just need to take my t-shirt off and paint myself green and slime it in. <laughs> How horrendously ungeeky does does buying a pressure washer sound? And I've realised now I should have picked something much more interesting than that. <laughs> have you bought comics instead? Um, no, but I have been messaging comic shops to add more comics to a list recently. <laughs> Does, um, does your lovely wife know about this, Keith? She does now. <laughs> no. 
although some, somebody is coming up the stairs as we speak. Um, there, there is there is a, a, a short box stashed away, and I had to buy some more recently. So there is there is an extra there is an extra short box that hasn't been filled filled yet. So, but, but that's that's not on display. You're as bad as us. Our comics boxes are all split apart now. We've got to so many of them. Yeah, we uh, definitely need to get our our storage solution mm-hmm. sorted. Lee, what have you been up to the last couple of weeks? Um, I mean, today has mostly been spent fighting with Adobe Premiere because uh, a video that should take <laughs> should have taken a, bit, a few couple of days is still being made because it just won't read the files properly. It takes like a million years to just show me the video footage. So that's fun. Sounds like Adobe Premiere. Yeah. <laughs> Adobe, the, the Apple of Windows products. <laughs> yes. The, um, the problem has been fixed right before we finished, right before we started recording this. So <laughs> there we go. Like uh, other than that, just usual stuff, really. Mm-hmm. Nothing too exciting, like pressure washers. Unfortunately, <laughs> still on the Animal Crossing binge or playing anything else at the moment? Um, I haven't been playing that as much, and because I've just been getting a lot of stuff for footage, I haven't really been playing a lot of just stuff for myself at the moment. But um, yeah, I mean, I've been, I finally got in Animal Crossing my basement, so I can build my containment unit where I just put everything behind bars. <laughs> Are you going to like start trapping your villagers down there? <laughs> no, it's 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 um, wanted items. I'm putting down there. Ah. I'm putting them in containment. So there you go. Because you're not you're not doing a Sims way. Just like you know, create a big hole and then take the lads away once it's full. No, <laughs> I don't really think you can do that. You know, putting some lotion in a basket. One of my old villagers who I didn't like, I put him in a house on top of a cliff with no way of accessing the cliff. He still found his way down. So I think it's, it's futile <laughs> to try and trap him. Hasn't got all that necessary murdering built in that The Sims has. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Have you not been doing the wedding photography, Lee? I keep forgetting about it. Yeah. I've done like the first two days of it. That is the creepiest thing ever in Animal Crossing. The, the fact a dog comes up to you and say, help me get these two llamas married. <laughs> and come to my creepy island where you can't go anywhere but inside my house and take hey, photos of the, them here's the thing like mm. um, with that first first day my wedding photo was the best one because I just put like the triceratops standy thing about a million of them in the background <laughs> so it's just a triceratops wedding you should just have <laughs> Jurassic Park to yourself as you just take the pictures <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even and also I think at one yet. point I took a picture which was like I replaced the the groom and had the groom looking on scared, <laughs> and that was the photo. And he was like, "It's good, but maybe there should have been more wedding themed items." I'm just like, "It's fine. This is this is my design. This is my art." All right. <laughs> well, from the lovely Sahara, I got some mysterious wallpaper, which is actually full on inside a volcano, on fire wallpaper. So I'm thinking that might be a nice wedding background here. Just like Doctor Evil, lair the place up a little bit. <laughs> get, come get married at the uh, the uh, James Bond villain lair. <laughs> <laughs> we promise not to feed you to the sharks. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, what have you been up to the last few weeks? 
uh, Geeky Goings On, I've been binging the second half of Rick and Morty Season 4, which I really enjoyed. I thought the first half was a bit wobbly, but the second half they kind of brought it back to kind of classic Rick and Morty style. And I started and finished the first season of Harley Quinn, the animated series, and I really loved that. I went into it just watching out of boredom, and I really, really enjoyed it. And it's it's something DC keeps doing that like, they, they seem to miss with the big budget stuff but then when they kind of dial it back a little bit they really they really pull it out and then the other thing really is mostly playing borderlands 2 friends because it was free on epic yeah just doing those kind of shenanigans really pretty fun packed agenda yeah i think with dc especially as you mentioned it's as soon as it's anything big and warner brothers get involved that's when it seems to go wrong for them Mm. yeah absolutely and it's uh it's it's an adult cartoon as well, so obviously it's yeah. swearing, it's like references, that kind of thing. And I think it's just, it's the kind of vibe that v, that DC does really, really well, you yeah. know, and it's just everything about it, the characterization, the plots are ridiculous, but quite poignant at the same time. Just generally really, really good. I'd recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm really hoping everybody in the Wonder Woman 84 set's just got big pointy sticks for the the Warner Brothers execs when they come on set visits and just like keep away keep away yeah. <laughs> no touchy <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and Borderlands 2 great game played Borderlands 1 a lot I don't really have that much time for multiplayer gaming so it, it's a bit of a hollow single player experience unfortunately yeah massively and that's the thing because I hadn't played it I've got it but I didn't play it until I managed to get three other people to play and um, there's nothing like playing a looty shooty game with friends and also just finding really creative ways to just screw each other over so like when they're down reviving them waiting to like the very last minute then dropping them again and just leaving <laughs> <laughs> yeah the only problem with loot ups is it, it creates many arguments very quickly as in, I wanted that gun. You took that gun away from me. <laughs> and it's uh, it's about thirty five percent playing the game, and you know the other five percent just sat in the menus looking at which which guns has like the best numbers and the shiniest, the shiny projectiles, and that's it. And another forty percent of getting into a car and then waiting twenty minutes for everybody else to manage to get into the car in a sensible order before you can drive anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's the dream of online playing, really. <laughs> I've yet to hear anybody say anything better than researching and buying a pressure washer, though. Oh, I've got yeah, something coming up, Keith. You're going to really enjoy it, <laughs> George and Dave. It's been a it's been a fair amount of time since we last spoke to you. I think it's been a, a rather busy time for you both. Uh, what have you been up to? I mean, like everybody else, we've spent a lot of lockdown watching a lot of TV, playing yeah. a lot of video games. Um, I've made it my personal mission to complete Disney+. Plus. Doing pretty well so far. I've watched all sorts of nonsense. Including, like, I'm sort of alternating between watching like proper sensible things. Like We, we really enjoyed stuff like the Imagineering story, like the mm-hmm. scenes stuff. And then I also spent a weekend watching DuckTales, the original one, obviously. Um, <laughs> and I'm currently re-watching Kim Possible, which, again, I'm really enjoying. <laughs> It's just nice background TV. It's good. What, what do you mean? The original DuckTales? There's only one DuckTales? Well, yeah, exactly. Right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> like, there might have been a fever dream that there might have been a second DuckTales, but I don't remember that. Um, yeah. I have found that I can't watch it without hearing Keith in my head singing the, uh, the old Top Jumps theme tune that he used to sing for us to the, uh, the DuckTales theme tune. Not that we 
ripped off any kind of actual music for uh, for Geeky Brummy, obviously. No, but, never. Um, yeah, no, it just make me think homage. of Keith every time. <laughs> I think it. I think it was covered under parody laws. I think that's how we. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I like that, I've never yeah. heard of this Ducktales thing of which. You <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently I've heard Optim- Artemis Fowl, the movie that's been put onto Disney Plus has not gone down well at all with anybody who's actually got any kind of love for Artemis Fowl. Okay. Uh, no, I'm not going to win it. Yeah, I've heard of many pitchforks being sharpened and torches being lit. Yeah. I think I will watch it out of curiosity just to see how badly they've um, adapted it. But... Yeah, it's it, got to admit, it's, it's not one I'm familiar with because I, I think you've not read the books either, have you? No. I think you were, I think you, you're, you were slightly... Too old when the kit when the books were first released, yeah. and I definitely was. Yeah, just, again, yeah. Just, never, just never got around to reading it. Yeah, and apparently it's taken so long to get onto screen was because they wanted to do the author wanted the right adaptation, mm. and it's it's probably the usual thing of many talks and mm. the author yeah. the author doesn't get much input post selling off the rights. Unfortunately, still playing the X Wing, Dave. No, I've pretty much given up on that. I've uh, moved on to uh, Warhammer 40,000, which is... Ah. Excellent choice. Full of tiny models, just different tiny models. Yes. And more of them. Yeah. The game that you spend more time looking at the models than playing with the models. <laughs> yes. yes. How long have you been painting all the models? Um, I don't want to answer that question. And how many games <laughs> have you actually played? Don't want to answer that question. There we either. go. <laughs> The answer is, I think, well, more than one year. You've been going for a couple of years on painting them, and the yeah, total games, yeah. I believe, is one? No, more, more than that, but not much more. Definitely <laughs> single figures. <laughs> yeah. I think Warhammer 40k is basically the repair shop for geeks, though. <laughs> yeah. Assembling, assembling the little models, getting your jewellers loop out, getting your little paints up. Yeah. Getting it as accurate as you possibly want. I mean, I, I think the, the, they've definitely sussed it with me, because like, every time I get some, somewhere sort of near... Com- like completing my my pile of shame, um, yeah. you know they'll, they'll release and like you know a new box like box set of like you know like for, for figures and I go oh I, I need those so off I go and mm-hmm. add to the pile and totally don't have a one of the Billy bookcases full no don't don't have that in the bedroom at all. <laughs> <laughs> you know you know when you like when you walk into a Warhammer uh, Games Workshop it's like walking into a car garage isn't it you have a fixed yeah. price in your head. It's it's a simple service. Just check checking out the new checking out the stock. Yeah. Not in no intention to buy. And by the time you leave that store, you've got two carrier bags full of paint, brushes, a few models, white dwarf magazines, and you're just like when when, when did this stuff get put in my arms? <laughs> yeah. It's I've like learned now that if uh, if Dave says he's just gonna pop in for two minutes pick up some more brushes, I've got time to go for a cup of coffee, maybe have some lunch and then have a wander around Primark and come back and meet him and that'll be about right, he's usually about finishing up then Yeah, I mean, in my defence, a lot of the time that's just because I, I end up getting chatting with the, the guys who work in the, the Birmingham store who are fantastic but yeah, it's a, it, it's a dangerous hobby <laughs> It's a very expensive hobby as well if I remember rightly from when my son was doing it it's yeah, like, it's I mean, like workshop is like Tiffany's for plastic. The small, the smaller it is, the more expensive it gets. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so when I was uh, yeah, fourteen, I've, I've 
because I said like when I was fourteen, yeah. um, I went to the, to the shop in um, in Northampton and started talking to the guy, really really nice. And then he went, oh yeah yeah, so so what's your budget? Mm. And I went twenty pounds, and his face just dropped. <laughs> <laughs> and it was yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll say, yeah. did, did you get one pot of paint for that or two? <laughs> yeah, okay. Here's here's a book. Would you like a book? Yeah. <laughs> here's a corner of one page of the book. There you go. Yeah. I love the way they always I mean, display the perfectly painted models in the shop when you go, oh, I'd like to do that. Make my and it's like it's gonna take you sixty three different paints to do that. Mm. Because that armor's got fourteen different shades yeah. of blue yeah. on it. Yeah. <laughs> but that's why I loved X-Men <laughs> miniatures because they came pre painted, which basically just meant you yeah. have to stick them on the base and it was like Look at the amazing thing I've made. <laughs> Two easy steps. <laughs> yeah. Always gets me. I mean, I, I know there's like people who make it their full time job is just to paint Warhammer 40k miniatures for people. Oh, yeah. The, uh, there's, there's a lot of commission painters I know who are on various groups on Facebook and that. And yeah. Yeah, they do surprisingly well out of it. Yeah, they should bring like G4 TV back and just do like Pimp My Army. An exhibit just comes in, <laughs> take, takes your models and takes them away. And... To, be, to be fair, now if, if they were going to have that show, it'd have to be fronted by Henry Cavill, who is a confirmed Warhammer geek. Yeah, Henry Cavill, that would work. Mm. Yeah, I, I think the internet nearly imploded when that when that came out. Would it be like Pimp My Ride though, and the models would come back with like a hot tub and a set of speakers in the back? <laughs> you, you could get away with that with the Orcs army. Yeah. <laughs> or would it be a, or in true Pimp My Ride fashion would it be a, a pair of speakers in the hot tub yeah <laughs> I must admit while I've never dabbled in the painting the tiny figures myself I do I do like the designs that mm. come out of Warhammer so I have been quite almost tempted to pre-order some of the um, I think Diamond Select's big figures that they're, oh. doing, they're doing a space marine but they yeah. come already coloured so you haven't got to paint them you just pose <laughs> yeah. them and go this is cool um to be fair, if you want, go for the McFarlane ones because they're a hell of a lot cheaper than the Bandai ones. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I didn't realise McFarlane had done some. Yeah, the uh, McFarlane ones are brand new out, whereas I think the, the Bandai ones were about three times the price, and uh, people were not not happy with them. Yeah. yeah. I once tried to like research the Warhammer 40k universe for an article I was putting together a long, long time ago. Yeah. Uh, and I think I spent about 20 hours and I probably got about one year into oh, the yeah. actual Warhammer 40k century. I was like, yeah, I'm going to do a very brief overview and say, here's all the resources <laughs> for you. It's yeah. Like, that's that's made me think. I'm, I'm pretty sure there's like a Warhammer game coming out for the Switch soon, so I need to research that myself, mm. and I'm just like, oh no, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good luck, I, is all I say. Good luck. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, like, the, law, the law of 40k is fantastic, but it is very, 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 very convoluted and very, very long. Yeah. yeah, it's probably about as bad as the Elder Scrolls games, if you ever looked into the law of that. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say it's about on par with that. I think the fan base as well, because uh, like Warhammer 40k fan fiction is the most controversial because you have everyone just kind of insulting each other on the minutiae details of that's not canon. <laughs> yeah. Like they're actually militant in exactly what is canon in Warhammer 40k. Yeah, it's kind of missing the point of fanfic. Yes. <laughs> I know enough for the heresy and for the Emperor memes that that mm. kind of covers me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've just googled the McFarlane range 
and they're actually bringing out a space marine in the, the original unpainted grey plastic mm-hmm. variant. Yeah, so you, so you <laughs> can do your own. It does look very nice, just as yeah. grey, but it's like, no, I'll, I'll get the one that's already coloured. <laughs> yeah, I did, I did play a bit of goth. Uh, Battlefleet Gothic when that came out, yes, which was their more spaceshipy one, which was a little bit like X-wing was basically. Yeah, and I love that game, but nobody else played it because everybody else was too busy like having full-on ground armies. And it's like space battles, space battles. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I thought I, I never played Gothic, um, but uh, my best friend ha- still has a lot of uh, his old stuff. Uh, but he had, he had the exact same things that you know everybody played for you can barely anybody played uh, played uh, Battlefleet Battlefleet Gothic. Yeah, I think there's always like two customers who play original Warhammer as well, and like they're just off in the corner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it, it's 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 a good good mix, but there's a few um, there's a few interesting characters, shall we say? <laughs> it, it, it has a very particular fan base. Yes, it's improved a lot over the years, but yes, yeah. still a, it still attracts a certain subset. Yeah, I think it's improved when the shop moved from what it was next door to um, Oasis Markets in town. Yes. Which is, which is now a sandwich shop. <laughs> I remember walking into there once, like, shiny-eyed child, and like they had some tournament on, and I just left oh, defeated dear. and crushed by like yeah. 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was defeated by the dice and the plastic rulers. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's always the way, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So what's been your highlight of Disney Plus so far, you two? I think the Imagineering story, that yeah. was really cool. We are both big Disney nerds and we love the parks, so much so that we actually spent our honeymoon in Disneyland Paris earlier, well, end of last year. Yeah. yeah. Um, back when we could still go outside, that was nice. <laughs> before um, Yeah. <laughs> really enjoyed that kind of in-depth look into how how the parks will get designed that was yeah. that was really interesting that's been the best that we've watched so far i think yeah and mm-hmm. probably clo- closely followed by that um one day at disney yes with... although another highlight i think that's an obvious one for us is the old x-men cartoons from the yes. 90s and um, shiny hd yeah exactly yeah it's been brilliant so we've been watching those again which has been nice although i've got to admit I, like while we're watching them like every now and again it'll just it'll cut to where where it'd be like right, for the, the old Fox Kids adverts, yeah, and yeah. they're not there. It's really weird. Yeah. <laughs> I've been, I've watched the first few episodes of that just to see how it goes. I'd forgotten they've got those horrendous 3D models at the end of the first few episodes. Yeah. Yeah, to explain With what the they all files on. Yeah. Yeah. So thinking, that's that's so weird. I'd forgotten all about those. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I'd never seen those um, when I when I watched it um, on Fox Kids and all the rest of it. So I'm guessing that must have been off the old American something. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I can't remember just... that when it was on, was it CITV in the UK it used to be on? Mm. Yeah, something, something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think they would yeah. have chopped that off. Yeah. And... Still got the best theme tune of any show. The best. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've still got it as one of the ringtone options on my phone mm-hmm. after like four years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, just You wouldn't get that nowadays, some, some guy shredding a guitar over a cartoon no. for like 12-year-olds. But it was a completely <laughs> 90s thing, though, wasn't it? The whole, like, guitar shredding. Because you had that, you had Spider-Man as well. Yeah. You had Tears Power Rangers. Like Mice from Mars, Power Rangers. Samurai Pizza Cats. What was the, um... What was the though, yeah. Sonic one as well, where they were all in a band. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, oh. yeah. Yeah. So, just, just... Sorry about the 90s and shredding guitars over kids' theme tunes. 
I still think I remember <laughs> most of the lyrics to the Bucky O'Hare theme tune. Oh, wow. <laughs> Impressive. Which still has the best name spaceship of anything of all time, which is the yeah. Righteous Indignation. There is never going to be a better spaceship name than the Righteous Indignation. <laughs> no, that's pretty good. Yeah. For anybody out there that disagrees with that and is thinking the same as me, that the best theme tune for a cartoon ever was the original Teen Titans theme tune. Oh, yeah. That was a good one. I was, I, was, I was expecting you to go with Around the World in 80 Days with Willy Fogg then, Keith. Don't get me started on those things <laughs> because we don't want to go down the route of what my thoughts on Dog Tanyan and the Musketeers are. <laughs> Some musker hounds, Keith. <laughs> musker hounds. Yeah. You can see how, oh, can see how much of that had on me. <laughs> yeah. That, that is the uh... bottom of the list. Rock, 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 rock. Again, again, oh, I don't think you'd get a cartoon nowadays where the opening credit has a dog having a wee halfway through the middle of it. Oh, no. <laughs> at least not one in for no. kids. Mysterious Cities of Gold, which I'm sure that at least 50% of each of the episode was the opening theme. Yes. Yeah, it's the same. Same with Ulysses thirty one. <laughs> Ulysses. All I remember of that show was the theme tune. I remember watching it, but all I remember is the theme tune. I remember nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was a decent take on Greek mythology for kids in a weird way. It was about Greek mythology. All I remember was yeah. the theme tune. <laughs> it, was, it was a bit. It wasn't the best. I think my favourite of those kind of cartoons was definitely Battle of the Planets. That was not, that was by far the best one. Not Highlander, the epically violent film series that got turned into a cartoon series. <laughs> Set in the oh, future, yes, I forgot about that. bizarrely. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I think most uh, eighteen-rated adult films had a cartoon series associated with associated with them at one point. I remember distinctly watching RoboCop, the cartoon. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. At some point, how how that it, one slipped by anybody's? It uh, also had. On Saturday afternoons, if I remember correctly, a live-action series, yes. RoboCop yeah, series. But there was, I think, there were three um, RoboCop series. They went out, they went out, were like three episodes short. Things came mm. out about the same time as kind of like things like Alien Nation. Yeah, um, Fox were trying to kind of um, spin their film franchises out into TV shows. I, I remember yeah. that mainly due to the amazing adverts that they'd have halfway through it. <laughs> with like the 5,000 factor sun cream <laughs> just because the world was that polluted and that yeah. if you went outside you'd like burn to a grit ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, the joys of 80s and 90s TV uh, how did any of that actually get out the door <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's still better than a lot of stuff put out today alright grandad <laughs> <laughs> so what have I been up to the last couple of weeks let's see uh, me and Viv have gone virtually rug shopping because we want a new rug for the new front room you're right that many, does beat the pressure um, washer <laughs> <laughs> no. I see the jealousy in kids face like damn it <laughs> <laughs> it, it. At my end, that glitched out, so I just got Ryan say bird, and that's all I heard. Rugs, Keith. Lots of rugs. I've seen many rugs. I've seen more rugs than a man needs to see in his lifetime. All of which were equally acceptable for me. It's a rug. 
Yeah, Rook, it's one of those things, I think, as, as you get older, for some reason, and you don't understand how it happens, your house becomes full of rugs and cushions. That you yeah, but a rug really ties the room together. Yes. Yeah. the dude tortoise. <laughs> it's an important thing. I mean, everybody knows exactly what you do with a cushion as well, is when you sit down on the sofa, you reach behind you and move the cushion to the side. <laughs> Nobody yeah. ever uses the cushion for support. It's just there as a decorative object. Yeah, it's, like those ones, it's like those ones you have in the bedroom, which nobody sees throughout the rest of the day, and yet when you go to bed, you have to move them all off. <laughs> <laughs> for some reason. I think, I think this is why most single people's flats are very minimalist. Is that By single people, I think you mean single men. And I can tell you exactly what all single men's flats look like. They all have very little in them. And they all have the same dark blue bedding, except it's not quite the same shade of dark blue, because usually it's like somebody else has bought it at some point, and this never occurs to them to buy something else. <clears throat> I think every man I dated in my 20s the exact same flat. It's like feeling very pulled out right now. <laughs> Sorry, it's the truth. You all know. <laughs> Most single men as well, when they buy a box of furniture, they will leave the item of furniture in the box for as long as possible and just use mm -hmm. the box that contains the furniture to hold things up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah there'll be nothing in it. Yeah, you go in the living room and there's nothing except an enormous TV and maybe a deck chair. <laughs> or one of those big gaming chairs. That's the other option. Yes. And a mini this, fridge. Don't forget was, the mini fridge. <laughs> this was the advantage of being a young man in the late 80s. That that kind of bedding didn't exist. So I think all the bedding that we you could buy in the late 80s made it look like your bed was the album cover of Duran Duran. <laughs> it was that week's Top of the Pops charts background. <laughs> it was all, you know, um, those Angling. shapes. Yeah. I forgot what they call them now. I don't know, I was kind of expecting Spider-Man bed sheets from you, Keith. No. It's, it's one of those things I've discovered as I got older that a lot of the coolest bed covers don't come in doubles. Yeah. Mm. Very difficult to get doubles uh, of Star Wars bedding. Get them in singles, no problem. That's when you need somebody to use able to sew, and then you just unpick two singles and merge them into a double. Yeah. 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 That's true. But it's one of the things about being older as well. I've discovered that kids have much nicer clothes to wear than adult men. Because <laughs> whenever I go into a clothes shop for adult men, you always go... This is all. This is all pretty horrendous. Why have the kids got all the fun clothes? You just want the ones with like the uh, sequins on that you can rub up and down and change the colour. <laughs> if I go to the Disney store and they've got like the, <laughs> one of the little kind of like Poe Dameron jackets, and they only go up to like a year, an age twelve before you. I am. Um, I, I own one of those jackets, and it. Um, there are there are advantages to yeah. being um, a not very tall woman at times. <laughs> Totally I not do jealous. Have one of those at all. It's great, wear it a lot. <laughs> I was yeah, to say about buying it, one of the the Elsa dresses instead of. Because uh, <laughs> yeah. I swear that's all the Disney store sh sells. <laughs> well, you see, I, I would have had to go for the Merida out of Brave um, dress. You see, <laughs> good choice. It goes much more better with my colouring. You see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got to tell you though, Disney is the best place if you want to pick up very cheap Star Wars Black Series figures. Usually from like two mm -hmm. films ago. Yeah, they had, like, they had a load of K two S O metal metal ones, and that was like that's a that's a buy. <laughs> yeah, 
Metal. Oh, I remember, yeah. remember when they came out and the first series, the, the quality really wasn't that good. I think it was Ray was like looking in two different directions. And just like, as she does in the film. Yeah. yeah. Just like, oh. Oh dear. Oh, Daisy Ridley. <laughs> yeah, they, they do have some some great, some not so great black series figures, considering they're yeah. supposed to be like the the higher end version of Disney figures. And Keith, you love the yeah. Star Wars toy box range, don't you? Yeah, I mean, kind of because when Disney Infinity collapsed, when the Toy to Life um, gaming thing went out, uh, and they started to take some of the designs that they'd used for that and kind of made articulated figures of them. Mm. Um, so I've got a, quite, got a few of those; they're quite cool. Um, there was one that was going to come from Rogue One. I think it was Baze. They'd got a they'd got a Disney Infinity figure designed for that, and I was hoping at some point that would come to the Disney Toy Box range because they're quite good. I like I like a chunky toy. They're quite cool, mm-hmm. um, so they're quite pretty good. They do a nice um, Captain Marvel one of that as well. You get yeah. a little flirking in that packet. It's cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are the geeky? Well, actually, having up some geeky stuff as well. I want Clone Wars, very end of season six, so I'm almost there. It's taken me nine months, I think, to get this far into the Clone Wars. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's really good. It, it really picks up towards the end. Do, do you think, think the journey was worth it, kind of thing? Do you think the whole nine months was worth it to this point? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of like a prequel to Rebels for me, because I never really watched it fully in sequence before watching Rebels. So Rebels is awesome. And I still think it's my favourite series, but the Clone yeah. Wars has some episodes which are probably better than the prequel movies. As standalone episodes, <laughs> some really yeah, really good fun. stuff in there. Yeah, and some really good Star Wars lorey stuff in there as well. So, and you can see Dave Filoni's progression from Clone Wars to Rebels onto the Mandalorian. So it's interesting to see that. Mm. And good to know a bit more about Ashoka before the Mandalorian season two hits as well. So. Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite. We still haven't watched the, the first season yet, have we? No. We haven't reached that part of my completion of Disney Plus again. Yeah, that's, yeah. A bit, that's a bit further down the list. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, what else have we done? Oh, yeah, and I'm specking up a new PC for like audio and video video editing, which is basically like most PC geek stream when they look at yeah. it. Basically, what they'll do is put the most expensive stuff in first and go and go. Oh dear, that's really expensive. And then, like, slowly <laughs> rack it down to a, like an affordable level. Yeah, <laughs> which always sl- slightly disheartening. It's like here is a PC of my dreams. I have not won the lottery. Here is a PC I can afford. Yeah, <laughs> it's always good fun. UK PC part picker is a way to waste hours if you're ever looking at building a PC. Yeah, and you can just like <laughs> scroll through, check all the check all the seat cast latencies on RAM, all the really geeky stuff that you really want to get into. Do you want an NVMe SSD? Do you want a SATA SSD? <laughs> it, it's it's fun time consuming. Yeah, eBay is quite good for that as well. If you want to take your PC building to the next level, then you can also buy PC building simulator on Steam. Oh. <laughs> wow. I, I might, I I build your that. PC virtually so you can mm-hmm. see it. <laughs> 
I may have got that in a humble bundle at some point. <laughs> oh, would you would you need a good gaming rig to play that? Would that be some sort of weird meta? Yeah. Like... Yeah. 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 I was going to say, the irony of PC building simulator is if you don't have a good enough PC to run it on, that's the, that's yeah. the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just to handle all the RGB LEDs that you're going to have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The question is, though, once you finish building the computer on... Uh, on the computer building simulator, can you build a computer in the computer building simulator? Like, oh, like, how know, many like, layers does it go? Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> full, full on inception. Computers all the way down. <laughs> <laughs> the dude is the final boss. <laughs> I have actually played that game. It was quite fun for a few hours of amusement. <laughs> <laughs> I always find like the weird games like that and like the car repairing simulator games and stuff like that is a great way to just like just zone out completely, switch your brain yeah. off for a few hours. Yeah, uh, I imagine I'm, it's like I imagine it's the same for people who like play Euro Truck Simulator or Train Simulator or the plane game Goat Simulator. Or go- Which uh, that yeah. game still breaks my brain a bit. I'm not gonna lie. I think I'll stick to The Witcher. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's on the special edition on the Steam sale at the minute, and it's called the Goatee Edition. <laughs> More goats. <laughs> Customized goats, microtransaction goats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've you've seen that um, Matt Cat simulator, simulator game? I've, I've definitely showed you that a couple of yes. times. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, that and the Horrible Goose game. I still want to play that, but I can't quite justify spending the money on it. As hilarious as it is. <laughs> It, it's it's definitely worth the the money. The it horrible is. goose game, <laughs> a, a game where it has a de- dedicated bun- button for honking at people. Yep. Should should. I don't know that I need a simulator to go around making loud noises and being awful. <laughs> and also, <flat laughs> good that anyway. no purpose to it. So there's that. Too. Yeah. That predicted COVID. That was a social distancing wing spam. That was. <laughs> Keep out of my two meter range. <laughs> <laughs> Honk at people who don't. Yeah, yeah. If we were all horrible <laughs> gooses, we'd probably be in a bit better situation in this country at the minute. <laughs> and I'm back with this week's geeky brummy pool list, or as I'd like to call it, the return of the comics. Many of the UK's comic shops have now reopened. You can check out our web post for links to a few of the big ones where details of new opening hours and store policies can be found. With all the delays over the recent weeks, there's sure to be a backlog. And with DC switching distributors, we can't be sure what comics will be arriving here in the UK. So this week, I'm going to pick three of the comics from the recent schedules that have caught my eye. First up, we've got Adventure Man issue one from Image Comics. This is written by Matt Fraction with art by Rachel and Terry Dodson. So a new book with art by Rachel Dodson and Terry Dodson. Yes, please. Written by Matt Fraction of Hawkeye and Sex Criminals fame. Double yes, please. This diesel punk book looks great and is set to scratch my Doc Savage Indiana Jones itch. From what I've seen, the book seems to have a meta angle to it, with a book within a book storyline, and I've heard that the world building and character development is absolutely phenomenal. Of course the art is eye-wateringly beautiful, and I can't wait to get this book in my hands. My next choice is Strange Adventures Issue 2 from DC's Black Label. This is written by Tom King, with pencils, inks, colour and cover art by Mitch Gerard and Evan Shanner. 
I loved the first issue of Strange Adventures. Tom King, Mitch Gerards and Evan Shanna did a phenomenal job switching between timelines and the shift in art styles adds to the overall effect. I'm a big fan of Adam Strange and I'm loving seeing him headline a major book for the first time in years. I have to say I prefer Evan's work here, it's just so perfect and suits Adam's futuristic style. There's a long way to go in this 12 issue series and if it even reaches half the heights of Mr Miracle I'll be a very happy bunny. My final pick is Wind issue 1 from Boom Studios. This is written by James Tylon IV and pencils and cover by Michael Delanes. I don't really know much about this book but I've heard good things about it. It looks like Boom has another hit on its hands with this one. Preview pages I've seen features a brilliantly illustrated transformation of a lead character. Michael Delianis' art is beautiful and we get to see some of the wonderful storytelling of James Tynon IV. This comic looks to be another excellent addition to the Boom Studios lineup which goes from strength to strength. Boom Studios have put a video preview up that you can check out online. And those are my picks for this week. Please, if you are going back into comic shops, be careful, keep your social distancing up, and remember to thank the staff for being there. And now, back to the main show. Keith. Yes, Ryan. You've been kickstartering again, haven't you? Yeah, I have a tendency to um, overspend on kickstarters. Um, one of the kind of big things that have been... Um, fairly popular on Kickstarters over recent months has been comics anthologies, mm-hmm. which for um, comics fans in the UK is pretty much a big deal because most of the UK comics um, people will have bought when they were a child, uh, mm-hmm. particularly if you're over a certain age, um, will be anthology titles, even reprints of Marvel yeah. and DC stuff in the UK, which was generally split up and serialized over many, many weeks because they sold them to you on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, two of the Kickstarters that I picked up recently, um, coming from two different places, have been riffing off the um, anthology theme. And the first one we're going to talk about is Brawler, which came from Time Bomb Comics, which people may know our friend of the show, Steve Tanner, uh, writes mm-hmm. for. And the, kind of the idea for this one... Um, had come from trying to resurrect the feel of Warrior, um, which was a comic that kind of appeared in the very late 70s, early 80s, and was home to Miracle Man, Marvel Man at the time, um, and FIFA Vendetta, Axel Pressbutton and Laser Eraser, um, Bo Jeffrey Saga, loads of things like that. Um, so they kickstarted their first issue a while back, and I think they're ramping up to bring us issue two in the next few months. Um, so this was a comic that kind of brought us stuff uh, from Steve Tanner himself had, had written uh, one of the strips in there. Uh, yeah. Richmond Clements, the, the late, great Nigel Dobbin is also in there. Uh, Jason Colby, who people will also know we've featured on this show before. He's written books and other comics. Yeah. Um, uh, David Hitchcock have done quite a few um, strips in there. Um, mm. That one, This one was kind of put out in a slightly more kind of prestige American size format so kind of uh, if people remember the kind of prestige format that used to be out um from dc and marvel back in the day um they put that out and to be honest it's it's an interesting read um yeah kind of does a decent job of kind of setting the scene for uh what what's to come as a single issue it's a little unsatisfactory because it's kind of mostly set up um, some of the titles, some of the strips that are in there kind of relate to other things that people have done before. So my favourite yeah. one in there is um, Frankenstein, Texas, which comes from um, Dan Whitehead and David Hitchcock. But that's mostly because it's some beautiful uh, black and white pencil art. 
which I think for me is key to these kind of anthology titles, being black and white, um, because that was what I remember 2000 AD and um, kind of Warrior and all those kind of strips, early deadlines being in black and white. So the colour work for me just is a bit too modern. I'm a traditionalist for that. Um, but it's kind of nice, kind of, you know, sets the scene. Uh, yeah. for what's to come some kind of interesting stuff in there quite a, a wide variety of strips some are sci-fi some are more contemporary some are a little bit kind of um supernatural so there's kind of something in there for everybody which is what you want from a, an anthology um, so it's a bit like something a, for everybody to read yeah so it's a bit of a small press taster basically so you can see some of the upcoming more indie creators in the uk and what they're up to and yeah and have a, have a taste of what you'll see on offer at lots of comic conventions when you when you have a wander around you see people self-published work you can possibly see a few of these people in there yeah i mean the, the standard of, of production value is very high uh it looks it looks great um it's, it's really well put together um, yeah i know St steve and the team at time bomb put a lot of effort into making their kickstarters as prestige as possible I mean, there's been quite a few over the last few years, being the Flintlock series. I think he's working on Dick Turpin one currently. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's a good little package. Um, and I think you can still get a hold of it if you trawl around. I think the um, they might offer the first issue in, with the second when they come back to um, put Brawler issue two out, uh, mm -hmm. which I think I shall be picking up just to see what, um, what happens, because there may be new stuff in there as well as continuations of what's going on. In the heat. Yeah, um, I mean, that is the, the joy of an anthology style of comic is you can have one shots or you can have serialized stories. Yeah, yeah. So the um, other one you picked up is a bit more on the uh, other rather famous comic title that you might have picked up. Yeah, in a, that, that, I think the clue is in the name. Uh, this one's <laughs> coming from the people who have been responsible for, um, I think, comic scene is uh, yep. a magazine that's been around for a little while now that's kind of a, a very UK-centric magazine about comics. Um, so they've put out the 77, which is uh, a, another retro anthology. This one's much more styled after 2000 AD, which originally came out in 1977, which may or may not have something to do with them titling it the 77. Um, again, a lot of content in there. You're getting quite a lot of uh, strips for your book Strips for your book? Books? <laughs> Strips for your book. There's some kind of phrase. People know what I mean. Um, and again, that's a lot of, it's like a lot of kind of indie creators. There's quite a few people in there um, that you will have seen from elsewhere. Lou Stringer um, supplies a Sergeant Shouty one-page strip, and people will know Lou from things like the Beano and stuff like that. Um, mm. And again, it's kind of... Um, an interesting mix of sci-fi strips, some more contemporary type strips, uh, very much, quite a few that are a bit more like the Future Shocks uh, from 2000 AD, um, which are kind of just one-off weird tales, um, which are in there. And again, it's, it's a mixed bag. Some strips work much better than others. Um, some kind of uh, lead into things a little bit more interesting. I think my favorite one out of the ones that were in this issue was um, a story called Techno Freak, um, which was kind of a cool, kind of heisty um, story. And then Division 77, which was very much kind of a much more uh, visceral strip. It was only four pages long, 
um, but read much more like a 2000 AD strip with kind of humans having their minds transferred into robot bodies to uh, battle an alien army, which um, did set up things quite nicely. And I would like to see more of that particular one. Um, but again, it's kind of like um, a, a real kind of um, mostly set up in that first issue. It's a shame that we have to wait so long. I think they've, they've just launched their Kickstarter for issue two. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where things go with that, what what new things are going to add, what will continue. Yeah, I mean, um, it seems to be a very curious British thing, the anthology series. It's never seemed to have caught on as well elsewhere in the world. And I think it's probably a little bit from when we were kids, reading the Dino, the Dundee. They were kind of like, if you think about it, they were children-aimed anthology series. We used to having a lot of variety in our comic books. Yeah, the Americans have tried it on a few occasions. Um, Marvel tried it with Marvel Comics Presents, which mm-hmm. used to run kind of three stories uh, of, of characters that were possibly not quite as well known, but it would lead with it would lead with something like a Wolverine story. I think the um, Weapon X um, story of Wolverine's origin was one of the big um, stories that ran first in something like Marvel Comics Presents. Dark Horse had done it. As well, things like Hellboy and stuff were first introduced in those, and DC yeah. did it for a few years when they made Action Comics a anthology for a couple of years. Um, mm-hmm. I think the biggest uh, thing that I would say about anthology comics now, particularly ones which are, are looking back at things like Warrior and 2000 AD, is that um, for me. I have very fond memories of those original books. They were definitely something new. I remember first reading 2000 AD and being totally blown away by the by Judge Dredd, the the reboot of Dan Dare, kind of the kind of the very visceral artwork that was in there. The kind of what Pat Mills was doing at that time with comics was pretty interesting. So I'm quite curious about what Pat's going to do with his anthology title called Space War, which is coming out soon. Um, so it'd be interesting to see what what happens with that. Um, yeah, but it's good to see a kind of a British comics um, revival uh, yeah. that, that we can get out there. I'd, li- I'd like to see something with possibly a little bit more all ages, um, suitable for kind of younger readers as well. Which I think two thousand years have tried to do with their regen issues uh, to bring in some younger readers. Um, yeah, and, and that, um, that would comic. Be good. Yeah, and I think Comic Seed magazine have just launched a kids version. That they're trying to push at the minute as well, which is to get more younger, younger audiences back interested in UK comic yeah. talent. The Phoenix has been going on for a while as well, which is kind of a bit of a uh, mm-hmm. anthology style comic designed more for younger readers. Um, yeah, which I think has broken out from a subscription-based service to people being able to pick them up in stores. But yeah. obviously, things like the Beano are still kind of um, kicking around. It's interesting to see how the the crowdfunding model seems to be working much better for comics and indie games and a few tabletop games I've noticed have done very well on indie on Kickstarters <laughs> and Indiegogo and it seems to be going a lot more that way from how it used to be when it was just all tech products and vaporware and it seems to be there's a proper little cottage industry forming on via making stuff via a crowdfunding yeah, I think a lot of it's down to on the distribution models that um, we have now. It's, it's, it's trickier for small press people to make money out of sending stuff to comic shops. 
Um, so I think by Kickstarter, using things like Kickstarter and Indiegogo, at least they know yeah. there's a there's an, an interest and in people are want, wanting to buy um, yeah. their material. So it, it's good in in terms of getting that out to a ready-made audience. I think mm-hmm. knowing when stuff's available, I think you have to be quite proactive um, yeah. to find these things unless you're already following certain creators who then say, I'm involved in this Kickstarter, go and yeah. follow it. Um, I think PJ Holden is doing some stuff for 2000 AD has got a strip in the next, next 77. So obviously he's um, kind of letting people know about that, um, which is quite good. And Staz Johnson have done the cover for Brawler. So when you've got yeah. kind of slightly bigger named um, creators kind of saying, I've got a piece in this, but there are other people that are involved in it is, is good. Mm-hmm. And I think at the moment as well, while comic shops are still recovering yeah. from um, the COVID-19 situation and being able to get product directly to people without having to worry too much about people having to go to stores and browse and kind of pick up stuff like that. It's, it's quite a good mm-hmm. way of doing stuff. The incentives um, often really, I'm not that worried about the added incentives um, yeah. it's just stuff that'll end up lying around the house like it has done for the past 20 years <laughs> badges yeah. and things i think the 77 one was quite funny because they were offering bionic tattoos i think yeah. there's stickers in this one i don't know whether you can give kids tattoos these days no good for me i'm far too hairy for it but that was quite funny that reminded me of like being able to get kind of a i think it was mac one in 2000 AD, you could get little Mac One stickers to put on your hand, so it looked, made you look like you were bionic. It didn't really make you look like bionic; it looked like you got a sticker on your arm. But that, that's kind of <laughs> yeah. And throw this out to the wider group. Do you think crowdfunding is the way to go if you're on the more small press side, or you're looking into making a name for yourself? I think it works well across different industries as well, not just on small press. I think it's something that's used quite mm-hmm. a lot in music as well. Like my, my dad is really into folk music, and like a lot of what he buys now is stuff that has been mm. crowdfunded in some way or another, and he likes it because you get yeah, yeah you get your name in the sleeve notes, which is always nice, and feel like you actually help yeah. somebody make it. I think, yeah, for people who... I think particularly for maybe somebody who doesn't fit into the mainstream of whatever industry they're getting into, whether it's comics, music it's maybe a better option, yeah. I think yeah. often, you know, if you were a minority creator, then it's a nice way to do it without that, trying to get somebody to represent you, mm. or, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the last Kickstarter I backed was um, the Assassin's Creed board game that's yeah. coming, supposed to be coming out, I think, later, later this year. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's, it's just, I think, when it's, when it's done properly, because... You know there are there are certain people who do like to take advantage of it, and but when it's regulated oh. properly and that, it's uh, yeah, it, it's a it's a good way to sort of get a give back to the people who are sort of like you know who who have backed you and sort of help help get your, get your product out there. But at the same time, it's sort of you know like especially say for stuff like board games and that, getting in on the ground floor and you know getting stuff that might be say like a Kickstarter exclusive or whatever. It's just again, it's just it's a nice way of, give, of giving back to people who have helped you, and equally by them investing in you, you've shown that they've shown that there is an interest for what you are doing. So it's a it's a bit of a, a bit of a give and take of sort of if you know if the product you put out is 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 good, then people will invest in it. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Matt, that sort of makes me think about like indie games and how you've got like the um, there's a lot of 
Buy games, they'll use the Kickstarter almost as a way to get a publisher on board. Yeah. So, like, it's to sort of show, like, we've got all this attention from a Kickstarter and we've raised all this money already, and then you'll have certain indie publishers that'll look at that and kind of mm. go, okay, well, we'll give you the rest to finish the game. Yeah. So, they're useful yeah, for that it's... too. And it, it's a way of showing the ideas that the publishers probably wouldn't touch otherwise have yeah. an audience. Yeah, because I know it's something Tim Schafer and Double Fine Studios did a lot mm-hmm. when they were first spinning back up, and because he had like that inbuilt audience from the LucasArts days, it gave him the chance to uh, yeah. get some of his fresher ideas out and give him a chance to develop and get that inbuilt audience and prove to the publishers that a game format from the 90s still is relevant to this day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. We've seen a lot of that in general because like, you had the director of Castlevania proving that people want a Castlevania by making Bloodstained. You had like um, Ukulele proving that 3D platformers, like you know Banjo Kazooie, like 3D platformers, still had an audience and all that sort of thing. So you've got all these public, all these developers who made those older games that are struggling to get those games made now. Yeah, Matt, have you? They didn't make it yeah, Matt, have you dipped your toe into the uh, crowdsourced market? Um, I, I agree with everything everyone's saying. I, I haven't personally. There was recently um, a Resident Evil 3 board game by the creators of the Resident Evil 2 board game that um, I was really tempted to kickstart because one of my friends is, is massively into kickstarting board games. Um, and I think what was said earlier, there is a kind of double-edged sword. Sometimes um, it can fall flat. Um, but other times it gives opportunity to um, sort of make a point or it's a very grassroots thing where the audience are also making a very big impact on the finished product. Um, So I think it's positive in that sense. I suppose on the other side, um, the kind of crowdfunding um, thing that's been around for a long time, it's still quite fledgling in terms of regulations and um, consistency, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. there's a bigger risk to crowdfunding these kind of things. And then yeah. um, it's slightly different. But if we take um, sort of publishing and self-publishing and when you can do, you can publish your own novels on Amazon with very little kind of input, um, there is a risk of certain areas become oversaturated with kind of carbon coffee copies of the same thing just to try and... Paranormal romance novel. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I think it's 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 largely a fantastic thing. It's just there are there are is a double edged sword sometimes. Yeah. 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 yeah but um, circling back round to the brawler and uh, the seventy seven, they were both very successful kickstarters. I think they pretty much hit their goals early on, and. I think it then gives it a bit of impetus for like the stretch goals, and it's you have a bit of faith. And if if you see a crowdfunder that's pretty much hit its goal within the first twenty four forty eight hours, you know it's pretty much been sense more slightly more sensibly pitched, and the, there is that inbuilt audience, and there's a little bit more trust that you'll yeah. have. I mean, especially I know with Steve and Time Bomb Comics, it's pretty much his modus operandi of publishing, and you know it's. It's had a lot of history, and you can check back, and you can see that it's had successful fund after successful fund on Kickstarter, and it has been delivered, and it's on time. So I think it, it is always worth putting your research in a little bit, and sometimes if the price is too good, 
maybe that's a bit of a warning. I know a lot of technology stuff has become vaporware where people have invested. And yeah. there's been quite a few large video games where it's kind of like super super upscaled video games, AAA titles, and then, mm. and then they never come to fruition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Keith, will you be picking up the 77 issue 2 and Baller Volume 2? I think you said you was going to. But... Yeah, I think um, on both, I'll probably, I'm just purely interested in the books themselves. Um, rather than kind of all the add-ons and stuff. Um, and mm-hmm. that does make it quite um, manageable price-wise. You're not paying for a lot of extra stuff that you probably yeah. don't really want. Um, so, yeah, I think I was looking at the alternative cover for the next issue of the um, 77. Um, so I'm going to kind of um, have a look at that. And again, mm-hmm. uh, same, same with Brewer. I think that's um, one yeah. to support, really. Because... Again, it's that kind of thing. Is if we don't buy it, there's, there's no market for it. So certain things I kind of tend to be a bit more support, be, bit more supportive of because there's, otherwise yeah. there's no market for these kind of things. And if, mm-hmm. if if we don't support it, it's it's why um, comics in news agents disappear because nobody buys them. Um, so mm-hmm. this is kind of the other way of of doing it. So it's again. Um, it's, it's supporting that. I know there's going to be some strips in there that I'm not going to be that hot on, but that's that's part and parcel of anthologies. Is there going to be something good? You know, even 2000 AD. Um, yeah. There's strips in there that I'm, you know, they're in there for five or six weeks. I'm not that sold on them. Maybe skip them. Um, but I know at least one or two of the stories in there are going to be worth reading and, and are worth um, putting my money up for. So Yeah, um, as I said, they're both very early days, volume one, so... Hopefully yeah. it'll just continue to improve and refine as it goes on. And well, the, quality, kick- the quality of the product is brilliant. You know, you're not you're not getting a flimsy pamphlet. Um, mm. it's, it's not a fanzine like I would have made in the 1970s on a photocopier <laughs> with copy decks. And, <laughs> um, yeah, it's not of somebody's inkjet printer at home with a smear across where the. No, I mean I must admit I, I do miss the days of. of being really glad I work in an office with a A2 photocopier so you can blow stuff up and stuff. You know, you stay late to work late, but you, you, you know, you're not really abusing the photocopier that was there at the office <laughs> until years later when they clocked all this on and you had to put code in to be able to use it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I know yeah. the Kickstarter is live for the 77 now yeah. at the time of issue of this, and I think. Time Bomb Comics haven't got Brawler Volume 2 up yet, but I think there might be another Kickstarter they're running at the minute. I think, yeah, they're probably running another one at the moment. I think um, Brawler 2 will be coming, um, but it's worth just following. With any of these titles, it's worth following all the social media for for them and mm-hmm. you know be up to date with the, the release of those. Um, so, yeah, follow the social media and keep an eye on it. Cool. And I'll pop the links in the description so you can pick them up there. Hello and welcome to the part of the show where I discuss the Games of the Week for the past two weeks. Last week, Game of the Week was Beyond Blue, an undersea exploration game put together with assistance from the BBC's Blue Planet team. It's a game that not only offers a relaxing exploration of deep sea environments, but also one that sets out to teach the player about the environmental challenges our oceans face in the real world. Whether you're here to dodge sharks or learn more about the effects of pollution on the world around us, Beyond Blue looks like something that needs to be experienced. 
game of the week this week is the sequel to my fifth favourite game of the 2010s, The Last of Us Part 2. Set a few years after the first game, this game sees an adult Ellie on a revenge mission. Story details are fairly sparse as Naughty Dog have veiled them in secrecy, but if the first game is anything to go by, expect more grim apocalypse tales as humanity tries desperately to survive in a world plagued by a deadly fungus. Gameplay-wise, it looks set to be more of the same, with stealth and resource management being key to survival. With Ellie as the protagonist, it looks highly likely that stealth will play a greater role, as it's unlikely she'll be able to pull off some of the ridiculous takedowns the much stronger Joel was capable of in the first game. I'm really excited for this one, especially as I've been deep into the first game again recently since I've been making a video on the game for my YouTube channel, and I'm interested to see how they continue the story after its predecessor's superb ending. To recap, Beyond Blue is developed and published by E-Line Media and is out now for Steam, PS4, Xbox One and Apple Arcade. And The Last of Us Part 2 is published by Sony and developed by Naughty Dog and, unsurprisingly, is exclusively to the PlayStation 4. Those were the games of the week for the past two weeks. For more of the latest releases, go to geekybrummy.com where you will find my gaming roundup every Friday, usually posted around noon. And with that, let's go back to the main show. So there's been a cavalcade of gaming extravaganza of news the last few weeks so we thought we'd give you a whistle stop tour on some of the news that's come out and what's coming up uh matt i'm going to hand over to you for the esports update because i'm probably not the best person in the world to be talking about that (laughs) (laughs) thank you very much yeah i've got um three big stories i've picked out um so I'll start with the first one, which is the BBC is going to be broadcasting um, the UK League of Legends Championships and the uh, Northern League Championships, um, which is the European version. Um, this is really big news because um, it's they're covering the entire both um, tournaments on BBC iPlayer and on BBC Sports application. And um, it's important for two things. Uh, the first one is... Obviously, it's bringing it to the mainstream again. It's showing an ongoing support, and recently, mostly due to um, the current pandemic, the BBC has been covering more and more esports in light of mainstream sports not not going ahead. Um, so it's a step closer to um, that kind of legitimacy and acknowledgement in the mainstream that esports is legitimate is, is legitimate, and it's also very powerful as media. Um, And the second reason really is um, it's focusing on the British tournament. um, And that's great because the esports scene, we're great consumers of esports, but in ourselves as actually competing and celebrating uh, the talent we've got locally and um, our sort of achievements, we don't really do. So having it on the BBC, again, kind of legitimizes that and will hopefully encourage more um, British uh, esports players to uh, come about. Um, the championships are League of Legends, which is um, really popular MOBA, and one of the main players in making esports a big thing it is today. Um, and the second kind of big piece of news is related to that. So um, Valorant has just dropped. Um, for those of you who don't know, Valorant is a 5v5 character-based tactical shooter um, where... I think this is the first title from Amazon Game Studios as well, I think. It's, no, um, that's Yeah, that's... So this is from Riot Games, 
behind League of Legends. Sorry. And yeah. no, no, not at all. <laughs> this is um, it's again interesting for two reasons. So it's kind of a new genre. It's a it's been described as a hybrid between Overwatch, which is a completely character-based shooter, um, where you have a character with a specific set of skills, specific weapons, and specific play styles, and then the more conventional shooters like um, Modern Warfare or Counter-Strike, that kind of thing. Um, so it's kind of breaking new ground that way. It's free to play as well, so anyone can pick it up and play it right now. But the second kind of interesting thing is to kickstart it, Riot have announced um, the Ignition series, which is basically Riot's own series of esports events and gaming tournaments as a way of synthetically creating a pre-made esports scene from the get-go. And that's interesting because it's such a risky move. Um, I spoke about esports a couple of episodes ago. I was saying it's very much a grassroots, homegrown thing. It's very much based on the community, and the community need to adapt to the game naturally and build around that. Um, in the past, big companies like Activision Blizzard have tried to do this before, and they failed miserably to the point where it cost them millions of dollars and basically killed their game. So it's interesting to see how this is going to unfold. Um, I have high hopes for it, but it, it will be interesting to see whether a publisher can kickstart their own esports scene around their game, or whether it's not going to work so much. Yeah, yeah. I've noticed there's a glut of well online titles that we've been having recently, all, all chasing <laughs> the Fortnite dollar. I think so. We've attention. Overwatch has been one of the bigger also runs. We had Call of Duty Warzone, I think it is. Warzone, yeah. Which is the world's largest game, which I'd get told about every time. <laughs> it's like got 40 gig updates every couple of weeks, apparently. And I was like, going to say, when you say world's largest game, do you mean literally the size of the game? Because that's the only record that's breaking right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I know there's been lots of complaints about people basically taking days to download patches and get mm -hmm. new game modes and stuff like that. Like and there was. Yeah, so now we've got Valorant on the scene as well, which is another one. And there was that one from the Amazon Game Studios, which is completely Crucible. escaped. Because I've, yeah. I've noticed both of them, how both of them are performing is very notable because Riot are putting a lot of effort into Valorant from what I'm seeing. Um, yeah. And that's doing quite well. Crucible has kind of come out and just died. <laughs> They're removing two of its three modes weeks after its release. So it's like, mm, that's not great. Yeah, I think it's probably more of a test of Amazon web servers rather than mm. an actual game, unfortunately. They've got an oh, MMO sorry. coming as well. Yeah, but sorry to divert back to yourself. <laughs> yes. No, no, not at all. Um, but yeah, so uh, you can play Valorant now. It's at playvalorant.com. Uh, like I said, free to play, free to download. And uh, yeah, looks like fun. The last bit of news, very, very quickly, is... Um, the International Esports Federation has created an alliance with um, the International School Sports Federation. Two groups that probably mean nothing to anyone, but basically the International Esports Federation is a, a Korean not-for-profit um, attempt at a global, uh, one of several global esports organizations designed to bring a bit more balance to the esports ecosystem because... 
similar to what we talked about earlier with kickstarting, that kind of thing. Um, it's established, but there are a lot of things in terms of legalities and support for like players, that kind of thing that isn't in mainstream sport, that, that isn't there, which is in mainstream sports. Mm-hmm. And the purpose of this alliance is um, more and more there's a few sort of like um, varsity scholarships and that kind of thing to encourage younger people to pursue esports as a career. And this is um, an alliance with two organisations to kind of get together and offer more support with focus on mental health, um, physical health and um, sort of legal um, advice for young people who are um, entering the esports scene. And it's quite a big deal because um, South Korea and... um, sort of Asia in general are leaders in esports they always have been and whatever kind of works there will then roll out across the rest of the world and this kind of it shows a global sort of organization being conscious of the players and the play, players well-being because especially at the start of the 2010s um esports players were very susceptible to um a lot of sort of issues, both uh, mentally, both pressure from um, families, that kind of thing, but then also getting quite badly screwed over by um, teams and sponsors and that kind of thing because they weren't aware of the rights or what rights there are really for esports players. Yeah. So, yeah, um, exciting news and hopefully it will come to fruition to think better. Yeah, because I can imagine. Eat- Esports players, your prime career is possibly when you're not mature enough to be dealing with quite complex financial situations, and it it seems to be your peak is between your late teens, your very early, your early twenties, and that seems to be where your ascendancy is as an esports player. And I know personally, I wouldn't have been able to cope with million pound contracts and sponsorship. It's it sounds very similar to like NBA athletes who are just coming out of college, going into the draft. Uh, same with footballers so probably needs that kind of structure behind it where maybe you'll see a lot more agents come through and a lot more control about how their contracts are written time periods etc and health checks and stuff like that yeah 100 percent. and i think it's um it's exactly that because um the the tournament side is just a a small fraction of what they do so players are often contracted to stream x amount of hours um a day a week a month to make quotas for sponsors that kind of thing and sometimes they're not they're almost against human rights in terms of the amount of hours they have to pour into actually streaming just to reach their quotas just to get paid which for someone who that becomes their kind of lifeblood um again like you said at a really young age it's a big deal a very big deal flipping over from more of the online pc mobile gaming style lee we've had a console launch slash video game demo slash router with yes. a couple of pieces of a4 paper stuck to it yes we've <laughs> had the um the spicy meme console reveal um sony revealing their fifth playstation and Basically just throwing a whole bunch of game trailers out of stuff that's going to be on it. Not everything in there was exclusive, but there was a lot of games in there. 
Um, La- launching the stream with GTA Five now. Now, yeah, that was an interesting choice. Um, like, oh, here's our brand new console. Here, play this game you've already played before. It's like, yeah, why are you, in a, why are you starting with this one? So, I'm glad that they quickly moved on to Spider Man after that point. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, if memory serves, didn't GTA Five originally come out on the PS3? PS3, yeah, yeah. yeah. 2013, I think. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. It's pointed they didn't go, and here's Skyrim Super Amazing yeah. Special Edition. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Skyrim should have been next because. That's that's basically the new Doom. It has to be on everything. I, I was waiting for the Minecraft crossplay to go in as well. I don't oh, think Microsoft <laughs> next month. It's like always those three games. It's always Skyrim, yeah. GTA Five, and Minecraft, regardless of console I, release. I can guarantee Xbox will have Minecraft in a month's time because <laughs> that's Microsoft's thing these days, and so. Like, yeah, we know that you've got Minecraft. It's fine. Um, <laughs> but but um, we, got some, yeah, like, we got some interesting new titles as well. Yes. Um, There's sort of like a lot of the big um, Sony franchises are getting some sequels and stuff. Like I mentioned, uh, the Spider-Man Miles Morales uh, spin-off game. It's kind of... It's not it's like kind it's of, not fully Spider-Man 2. Isn't it like an it's, expansion pack slash DLC slash? It's one bigger... of those sort of expand alone type games where it's like it's a shorter experience that was, a, I think, originally designed to be a DLC and then got separated out into a, a game on its own. Uh, so it's sort of like Uncharted: The Lost Legacy or Infamous First Light, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. Um, you've got that coming. Uh, inevitably, you've got Gran Turismo Seven because there always has to be a Gran Turismo because it's Sony's biggest franchise. <laughs> um, uh, Horizon 2 is coming, um, which I'm looking forward to because I really enjoyed yeah. the first one. Um, everyone kind of expected Horizon 2 to be there, though, just because it's yeah. the way that game ended set up a sequel very clearly, and the success of that yeah, game means a sequel is inevitable. And yeah, um, and then there's going to be a new Ratchet and Clank as well, and that one um, is probably the one I was most excited for, just because I'm a massive Ratchet and Clank nerd. But uh, that one also seemed to be deliberately designed to show off the loading times of the PS5 with all the <laughs> dimensional rift stuff that they were jumping through. Because all of that, I think, was supposed to be, these are the loading times of the PS5. <laughs> yeah, it's going to so. be the first time that PS5, uh, the PS5 gets a jump on PCs. Because <laughs> with PCs, you've got such varying specifications that you have to deal with and optimizing games. And you still yeah. want people who are still paying a lot of games off what is old spinny discs, basically. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is the first console with a proper SSD set yeah. up for high high gigabit transfer rates. Mm-hmm. You can possibly now start to see, I think PC games are going to start forcing to say you need an SSD to play this game now, rather mm-hmm. than just... So I think it's, it's going to have a bit of a seismic shift in the PC gaming industry off the back of this. Yeah, I don't know how many games are going to be like really making use of the SSD, because... As far as I'm aware, the the new Xbox isn't going to have one, or if it is, it's not going to be quite as fast. And obviously, you've got the various various specs on a PC, so I think it might be a while before we see a lot of the third-party titles really make use Mm. of it, but I think we can definitely see that the first-party titles are really going for it. Yeah, I'm sure Mm. the Series X is definitely running off an SSD, but Mm. as you said, probably not the same kind of technology. might be just running off... SATA, similar to how a current PC would work. Yeah, because I think like Sony have been really pushing the SSD 
first and foremost. Like Microsoft have been pushing out the teraflops all over the place, but like yeah. um, Sony have been really pushing loading times over and over and over again. And every time they every time they spoke about it, loading times mm-hmm. has come up. And I'm like, that seems to be what they've built it around. Um, yeah, I mean, AMD on the back of this have seemed to completely have won the gaming war at the moment because they're mm-hmm. they're leading the way in PC performance. Both the Xbox Series X and the PlayStation 5 are built on Ryzen architecture and Radeon Vega graphics. So it's kind of like we can probably see it a bit more streamlining in the way that people are going to be coding for both the Xbox One and the PlayStation 5 at the same time. Very similar architecture, Zen 2 based. So hopefully this means that games will be a bit more quicker to come out on multiple platforms and mm-hmm. less development time so especially with stuff like the unreal 5 engine demo that we had a few weeks ago mm-hmm. but yeah. um one thing that sort of really struck me with um this presentation though was just kind of with the variety of games that were shown and how just colorful a lot of the games were like yeah. it was the thing that really stood out to me. A lot of the times when you see a lot of these console reveals, you'll get a lot of the same kinds of games, and you'll get sort of very photorealistic, but not but kind of bland-looking games. Yeah. Everything in this yeah, PS5 remember, one seems to have a distinctive aesthetic. Yeah, kind. I remember um, the Xbox 360 era. Every game was just brown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everything was just brown. All games yeah. were brown. Was, yeah. So like you had Gears of War, you had Halo. Brown, mm-hmm. just just lots of brown, brown. It seems yeah. like people are finally starting to find colory games again. But but even when you've got like games kind of in that more muted color scheme going on in the PS5 reveal, they still kind of looked, you know, they they seem to be going heavily onto the art design because like mm-hmm. things like Resident Evil 8, for instance. Um, you know, the the enemy designs and stuff were very distinct, and you could tell that that was kind of their focus, and it's like I think we're seeing a good shift towards more artistically designed games rather than a focus on just let's make everything look as beautiful as possible, let's make it look interesting as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there seems to be a bit of a seismic shift in the gaming industry where single Mm -hmm. player and multiplayer games have definitely gone off a fork in the road. Um, mm-hmm. Games are now being built to be specifically multiplayer or specifically single player, and not mm-hmm. trying to bridge the gap over the two anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what was the name of the awful game with the hip hop soundtrack as well? Oh, um, uh, Destruction All Stars, and you had Godfall as well, which also had the weird, like it had the yeah. ill-fitting hip hop soundtrack, even though it's like. <laughs> Here are like dudes with big swords and armor, and here's a hip hop soundtrack. It's like what? what? <laughs> <laughs> you know all this stuff about ascending to godhood, and it's like yeah, but why are you playing hip hop? That doesn't make any sense. It should be this big orchestral soundtrack. I don't understand. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think the other big thing about the reveal was no price. Yeah. Which well, usually the thing means... with the price is, I think Microsoft and Sony are both waiting for the other one to announce their price. I think yeah. we'll get up the launch. And it'll be like, we don't know what price it is because the other one hasn't said yet. <laughs> I think that's due to the Sony... Um, I think it was the 599 Microsoft moment they had at E3 many years ago. With yeah. the, was that the PS3 reveal where basically Xbox, Microsoft went, look at our amazing console. At... <clears throat> and then Sony just came out and said 599 then walked off stage. Yeah. Like, oh, look, it's amazing. 
They both want that moment, though. That's the thing. Just the thought, in terms of pricing for this, because I've been waiting for a long time for games consoles to get on this um, style, is what are the possibilities that they're going to look at a mobile phone style pricing system where you can have, you, you basically buy it on a contract because Microsoft most game systems already. now want us to subscribe to everything. Everything's subscription-based. Mm-hmm. So yeah. why announce a console that's a fixed price when you could get somebody to buy it paying you $24 a month? Microsoft already do that, I think, with the Xbox yeah. One X where you can trade it in for a Series X when it comes out. So you pay yeah. a set fee per month and then you get Xbox Live and Game Pass included in that fee. And then as soon as the next generation of the console comes out, you'll take send your Xbox One X back and you'll get a brand new Series X. So they're already testing the waters with that. I don't think Sony have something similar yet. But the only thing like... I can really see from Sony is they're definitely doing like a two-tier system because they've showed off the two different models. Yeah, yeah they did have digital-only one. Yeah, the digital-only yeah. one, which yeah. doesn't have a disk drive. Yeah, the uh, Wi-Fi router really and the faster Wi-Fi router. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've seen online that they kind of pre- people are pre-ordering for $700, I think, rather than pounds. Yeah, I think that's like the placeholder price that Amazon had put on or something yeah. like that. So, yeah. But it's not officially the price. It's just what Amazon yeah. has decided it's going to be. Yeah, I mean, we'll get the Xbox Series refrigerator reveal soon as well, I assume. <laughs> if you've got a fri- the fridge or the Wi-Fi router, that's your options for the next generation. <laughs> but the thing is, with this pricing, though, 700 800 pounds a gaming PC isn't very far away from that at all, mm-hmm. especially with the newer uh, Zen 2 architecture Ryzen processors. So I think like the 3300X is about 100 quid. And to mm. spec of a PC around that will probably cost around the same. And if you're plugging it into your TV anyway. That's kind of why I was thinking, like, the 700 isn't officially the price. It's just kind of Amazon yeah. have just had to put a price in their listing, and that's what they put in there. Because it's probably, mm. like, if people pre- or pre-order it at this price, and then Sony reveal a lower one, they've got to put it at yeah. the lower one. But if they say, oh, it's going to be 400, 400 quid, and then they announce it at 500, well, Amazon are now undercutting themselves. And they've yeah. got to sell it for 400 quid. So I think that's pro- probably what it is. Yeah. On anything else. Maybe. Because Maybe. 700 would be absurd. Yeah. yeah. I think I've, I've seen a, f- a few articles, I think I think one or two from, might have been Kotaku or someone like that, saying like, they, they, they reckon it's going to be around the four, uh, £450 mark. Yeah. Which would tie think... in with around that $700 mm-hmm. mark. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I think if you get in past that range, people are going to be very wary about. Yeah, money and... yeah, especially as, as like you said, a, you know, a, a decent spec gaming PC is well, maybe 100, 200 quid more than than that. So yeah. you're looking at, you know, you'd be looking at sort of potentially having something that could be a lot more powerful in a few years' time. Anyway, yeah, yeah. be interesting to see how the market develops. Uh, we'll flip over to a couple of games that have been announced over the last couple of days. Uh, one of which is Star Wars Squadrons, which we've had the trailer reveal for. Uh, we haven't had the gameplay reveal, which is coming out tomorrow at the time of recording, which is really annoying. Thank you, EA. Doing you yeah, because EA have got their Not E3 showcase coming tomorrow yeah. as we record this, but it will have happened by the time you're listening. So, Yeah. But um, to me, it harks back very much to 
some of my five favorite DOS games of my childhood. So like X Wing, X Wing versus Tie Fighter, X Wing Alliance, which were some proper hardcore Star Wars flight sim games. Yeah, so we've had we've had the um, fight, um, the Starfighter battles mode in Battlefront Two, which uh, the de- developer of this game worked on. I believe it's Motive. They're a pretty new studio in the EA infrastructure. But this looks to be a much more first person X Wing Alliance style title. Uh, st- style game. Yeah, it's like uh, like like you, Ryan. I played X- my X Wing versus Tie Fighter, X Wing Alliance. I played them rel- religiously as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've still got I've still got all all games installed uh, on my PC in in the other room. That yeah, and, and every now and again I'll just break them out when I just fancy some really immersive, fun gaming. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like, like I say, this really does hark back to that. And I've, the big thing I'm hoping for is a really good storyline, like like they had in in uh, X Wing Alliance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my my main worry is EA have had not the greatest record with Star Wars games since they've been yeah. the exclusive license holders. We mm-hmm. had Battlefront, which was less than a quarter of a game at release. We had Battlefront Two, which were was probably the same level of content and it seems to have had a massive redemption but I think we yeah. lost a lot of the audience you mean, at the start you mean, you mean Battlefront 2, that game that uh, was so riddled with microtransactions that the law started noticing yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. the one that yeah. actually changed let's, let's the call... law in the... <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah let, let's call it a spotty record I did love the yeah. flight parts of, of the first Battlefront game I thought yeah. I really enjoyed that because I thought it was a it was a very well balanced part of the game. You mm-hmm. it was there was no perks from having played for four hundred hours. You just had yeah. a spaceship and your lasers and, and skill. Yeah. Wasn't so hot on the Battlefront two version, which seemed to go. Mm, what are we going to do to make this more difficult? We'll just fill space with junk, which just <laughs> ruined it because you couldn't fly because everywhere you turned there was just junk everywhere, which yeah. I yeah. didn't particularly notice in any of the Star Wars films. Um, <laughs> so I'm hoping this one does pair that back and, and kind of get a good balance between kind of the X-wing Tie Fighter style and the very arcadey um, elements of, the, of that first Star Wars Battlefront. Yeah. One, I kind of, I kind of, I prefer it to be a little bit more arcadey rather than heavily resource management, where I've got to think about lasers and shields and all the rest of it. But I, I think um, you'll be slightly disappointed. Yeah, I think you'll be slightly disappointed, Keith, because they actually showed that in the trailer that you have to manage your engines, your shields, and your lasers as part of the I, game. I should have a droid out back <laughs> that does all of that stuff. Yeah, I'm flying by the seat of my pants. I'm feeling the force. I'm not worried about all this management stuff. Yeah, I've got. I've got to admit that that was one of the things I always really sort of kind of enjoyed about the like the old X-wing versus Tie Fighter games, like where you'd, yeah. you know you'd have to sort of there's that element of sort of managing sort of like you know shooting your shields to, to full rear because you've got like squadron tie fighters up your, up your backside or you yeah. know like or shooting everything head, headlong with a star destroyer you know it's like or, yeah or shoving your engines to full to get out away from things pretty quick or something yeah like yeah i mean, if you if i think it's very much aiming for that x-wing alliance kind of feel to the game from what i've seen mm-hmm. uh, it, it does look very much like they want you to build a squadron with four of your friends as well so we've got cross play across playstation xbox pc i think mm. is 
already been announced. It's going to be squad sizes of four or five, depending on the game mode. And I think they're releasing four fighters per side at the minute. So I think it's the X-Wing, the A-Wing, the Y-Wing, and the U-Wing for the New Republic side. And for the Empire side, you get your standard TIE fighter, you get your um, TIE bomber, TIE interceptor, and I think it's the TIE striker. Yeah, yeah, striker. So it feels like very much this is going to be a base level game because they've already said they're not doing microtransactions. So it feels like this is going to be a base level game that you're probably going to be buying ship packs for or uh, or lots of decal decals and cosmetics yeah. rather than spending money on pay to win, which was yeah, the downfall so, of Battlefront Two. Yeah, so basically going to take the Sims route of you know like base game and then a million million game expansions. Yeah, because it's there's quite a few noticeable. Um, fighters missing from that game especially because yeah. the periods have said it so this is set after the Battle of Endor so it's probably going to run closely timelined with the Battlefront 2 single player mode from what I feel so it mm. feels like the, that makes sense with how they've pitched the game So, but it's like the B-Wing's missing but you're missing the TIE Defender, you're missing all the gunboats you're missing quite a few of the, the ships that you'll know from the older games if you've played mm. any of X-Wing versus TIE Fighter or those ones which were Pretty much the complete entire range of game range of ships you could fly in those games. So I'm quite curious to sort of see what like what if anything they bring across from Legends that mm. will hark back to the like my, my X Wing Tie Fight yeah and X Wing Alliance games. Yeah, it's just like so like some of those ships would would fun to play. Yeah, the the single player looks interesting as well from what uh, we saw in the trailer. So you saw Harris and Doula from the Rebel series in the trailer. Uh, you got Wedge Antilles in there. So, and it looks like you might have Suntia Fell from the X-Wing Miniatures game. Pops up in the trailer as well. Yeah, I think EA possibly learned that having their fingers burnt a few times means that they need to respect the franchise a little bit more. Yeah. Because it comes with such a large player base before you even start development that they need to be a bit more... Uh, treat a little bit more with... a. Uh, little bit more involvement with the community. Yeah, and try not to take as much of a hatchet to it as, uh, as, as in previous games. Some slightly more slower paced game that we're going to turn our attention to now. Uh, it's an old N64 classic that's coming back for the Nintendo Switch. It is Pokemon Snap. Pokemon Snap! <laughs> Sorry, new, new Pokemon Snap. Pokemon Snap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, forget the PlayStation um... 5. This is, this is what we want. <laughs> I'm very excited for Pokemon Snap. For somebody who didn't own the N64, I'm going to bow out of this conversation, so I will leave you, <laughs> you all to discuss taking photos of your Pokemon. I mean, that's that's basically the game. It's just you. It's a theme park ride where you take pictures of the Pokemon, and that's why it's great. I don't. <laughs> there's nothing else to say about it. <laughs> I think the biggest disappointment on the original game, I think it only included 50. Of the original hundred, yeah, it was only a handful. Of the so original you, you one, couldn't, yeah. you couldn't get many, but the perks yeah. were to kind of like encourage the, the Pokemon to do certain things, so you yeah. could get actions and stuff. It was a good little game, you know, mm-hmm. on on rails shooter basically, but yeah, <laughs> with a camera. Um, yeah, it was. Um, I had a lot of fun with the original one back in the day, um, just because it's like the amount of like little things you can 
have happened just by throwing items at Pokemon and stuff and just like trying to find the hidden stuff. There's so much stuff hidden in there. It was just such a a really fun experience. So this sounds slightly in. like this sounds slightly like animal cruelty though. Basically <laughs> forcing the Pokemon to do things <laughs> and throwing things at them. No, it's, it's stuff like you'd throw like a trail of apples in front of a Pikachu to a surfboard and he'll follow the trail of apples, jump on the surfboard and start doing tricks. And then you can take a <laughs> photos of it. And then Professor Oak gives you more points. <laughs> yeah. The, the whole um, the whole capitalist society of Pokemon really is weird if you dig into it for any kind of <laughs> any kind of proper interrogation. I mean, it's not that capitalist. They do have free healthcare. It wouldn't be a Nintendo game without uh, capitalist sort of undertones, you know. When you've got Animal Crossing as well, everyone's... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, it's just Nintendo's thing. It's what they do. What they do really well. Yeah, but it, I mean, I, I know there was a, quite a few complaints about the quality of the models for the latest version mm. of Sword and Shield. So, yeah. again, Pokemon fans have a bit of a rabid fan base. Okay. Especially... Well, that's what I noticed on the trailer, was half the responses were just like, oh, how come this spin-off game looks better than the main game? And just like, oh, is this one going to only have like a handful of Pokemon like the main game? And it's just like, I mean, it probably is only going to have a handful like the original did. But, yeah. like, why are you still mad about this months later? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think Nintendo have tasted the sweet nectar of DLC now, so Mm. I think (laughs) everything has to have an expansion pack at some point. Well, all those people who said, like, oh, well, not all the Pokemon are in the game, all of them are in the game now because they've released the expansion. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. It's a slippery slope. (laughs) I'm fully on board for Pokemon Snap. Yeah. Yeah, imagine if they let you customize your camera so you can get different lenses and everything. Filters <laughs> 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 like Snapchat. Yeah, sepia okay. tone. Yeah. I'm going to say, I'll wait Instagram, Twitter, and Reddit mm-hmm. to be full of pictures of people's Pokemon. And what oh, they'd be yeah, doing. Is that Everyone's what they're going to model it on now? Is that you're taking pictures to post to Instapoke? Or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Some kind of social media elements. The, the better the picture, the more likes you get. I think you'll find it's poke talk, Keith. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to claim any kind of knowledge of these things. Yeah, you'll have a meowth dabbing <laughs> within like seconds uh. of this game. <laughs> it does look like a fun game to come out, so keep your eyes peeled mm-hmm. on the beat more information on that coming out soon I believe it's also interesting because um, Namco are the ones developing it interesting so, choice um, which would I think makes it the second Pokemon game that Namco developed because they did that um, Pokken game a few years yeah. back which is like the Pokemon fighting game oh, Yeah, uh, that yeah. one made sense because they were kind of drawing it from Tekken this one not so much yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think Game Freak have pretty much got bored of making Pokemon games after 30 years. <laughs> yeah. 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 I can imagine that meeting. What are we making next, lads? <laughs> well, have a think. It's a Pokemon <laughs> game. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Now for something completely different. More Pokemon. 
<laughs> it's Pokemon. Every so often, they might make an older Pokemon game, but newer. <laughs> like, <laughs> Omega Ruby. Yeah. It's Pokemon. But this time, it's in Britain. So you can have a teapot <laughs> as a Pokemon. Uh, I'm waiting for the Australian Pokemon game to come out. Oh, that's what the next one. <laughs> Nothing but kangaroos. <laughs> so, George and Dave, it has been a fairly long time since we spoke to you both. I think yeah. the world was still normal since we spoke to you. <laughs> I mean, we wasn't ever normal, well, really. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly normal. Yeah. But uh, we thought we'd check in, see how you're doing in lockdown. What, what, how have you been keeping sane, both of you, during the the crazy period that we do? Well, I mean, the main problem for me, I think, I've worked out that all my hobbies involved having to go outside in things like restaurants and bars. Um, I'm a food blogger, so I've had a fun time. In fact, no, I'm a food blogger who doesn't cook. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I, I had to tell you, I forced a hiatus on the front on that one, which was less than ideal, but... <laughs> I mean, I can't wait to go and spend a full fortune on smashed avocado summer again. That's going to be fantastic. But, yeah, that was a slight issue for me. Got, got to admit, I, I, I can stretch to an egg to make an, an eggs royale, which I did for your birthday. But um, smashed avocado is still a little bit beyond me. I think everybody's takeaway budget has overtaken probably their restaurant budget the last few months. But you can never <laughs> yeah, play yeah. it upright, can you? You can never make it look as pretty as the restaurant can do when they bought <laughs> Uh, so, at least if you can it's not still warm when you get to eat it anyway yes. this is what I've been learning yeah, yeah. I've, tried to do, I've still got, at least got content for Instagram even if I've got nowhere else <laughs> my husband's cooking so Rude. I need to at least get pretty pictures online somewhere yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> well that is the joy of food blogging everything comes slightly cold and it's colder by the time you get around to eating it yeah yes. Yeah. luckily I'm used to it I guess but, yeah. yes yeah. so am I now <laughs> Yeah, that's the curse of a food blogger's partner is they will never eat a warm yes. meal out for the rest of their lives. No. Nope. I said that otherwise, I think like everyone else, we've been obsessively turning to a lot of games and TV. Yeah. I spent the first couple of weeks of lockdown completing The Witcher 3. I'm only five years late on that one. <laughs> Got totally obsessed. It's been good. And I've also gone back to playing The Sims, of all things. Um, and I've, my Sims addiction has now become so bad that Dave has caught it as well and also spent an entire day building a mansion with a basketball court in the basement. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's, I'm um, I mean, I'm glad that, it, you know, in our first year of marriage, I've been able to share that delight with you of, of spending <laughs> 10 hours going, but why is there a size... Toy, like towel rack to put in this Sims bathroom. Ah, that's oh, been good. Yeah, although I think what what amused you the most was when I first sort of decided I was going to do this um, this this massive build. I was like, as you do, like googling floor plans with houses and that sort of thing. And then I, I asked George the the silly question of. How 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 does real world scale into? What's the conversion thing? rate on this grid thing for like <laughs> yeah. for actual feet? I'm yes, like, I... oh no, this is not going to go well for you. Yes, <laughs> oh, like... no. <laughs> yes, my my inner inner engineer came out for a, for a brief moment and then was brutally slapped back. <laughs> I think the problem is I've never got into The Sims because the the volume of expansion packs just scares me mm. and i can imagine yeah. it's like furniture that i would like would be spread across the vast ephemera that is the sims expansion pack that would involve <laughs> yeah. owning 50 different versions just to get enough furniture for one house that i've happened yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah most that that several of folders of custom content the most that i played of the sims was like a video recording a video a few weeks ago which broke anyway 
So I played like an hour of The Sims in my entire life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's, one, it's one of those things like, I, I've never been bothered about the actual playing of the, of the Sims and like, you know, like, like living your life vicariously through your Sim and all the rest of it. I've never been bothered about, about that in the slightest. But I've always enjoyed like the actual building, which again, en- engineering background, mm-hmm. briefly dabbled with architecture, makes sense. But it's yeah, like 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 you're you're completely the the other the other end of it. While you enjoy building, you really enjoy like the legacy playing and mm. and it just I, I it, it it's it's fun to watch you sometimes. But <laughs> other times you just sat there like what, why, who, yeah, when? <laughs> it seems to be one of the games where. You... It's about how much you put into it, is yeah. how much enjoyment you're going to get out of it. It's very much mm-hmm. based on what you're going to be doing in the game, which means how much you can enjoy playing it. Yes. Yeah. My time with it, I really enjoyed playing it as a herding cat simulator because that's basically how it went. <laughs> and yelling at all the sins. Like, why aren't you going to work? Go to work right now. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot that's of that. You. What are you doing? Why they... Oh my god, who set the kitchen on fire again? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of that. Yeah, they set like they set the kitchen on fire within like the first five minutes, and I was like, "How did you do this? You've just moved in." You've played yeah. The Sims correctly. <laughs> <laughs> There's a really good YouTube channel called Let's Game It Out, which is very addictive if you ever watch it. Which is basically a guy who tries to play games wrong. Oh dear! <laughs> so he'll find Amazing. every way he can of breaking a game, and he I basically. Yeah, I think he was playing Sims 4 and he basically locks somebody in his house. He is the pizza delivery guy. He just locks him in his Sims house and creates like an airlock so he can never escape. <laughs> and then sets his Sim to paint the pictures <laughs> of this guy and distributing them around the city. <laughs> and I think it's like you're playing the Sims correctly. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like 20 years into his game time, his wife comes looking for him. <laughs> this guy is kidnapped. <laughs> very good videos i really recommend that channel just as a kind of like it's great background because you just look over it's like what what has he done now how has he broken this game yeah (laughs) so uh i know you're both fans of the board game and some tabletop games have you been delving into the cupboard of games or have you tried Uh... playing games yet we've done a Bit. Yeah. I mean, we definitely ended up doing a lot of the uh, the virtual quiz thing, like everybody else did. Um, mm-hmm. Mostly with my younger sisters. So my um, sister should have been taking her GCSEs. It's been somewhat stressed about that, bless her. So we've been doing yeah. some fairly regular family calls, and uh, she's been in charge of creating entertainment for us each week. And we've done some brilliant quizzes. Oh, yes. um, I think my particular favourite was IKEA product or foreign swear word. That was a good one. <laughs> um, bad drawings of celebrities. Recommend that. Yeah. That was fun. <laughs> um, well, yeah, all sorts of nonsense like that just to keep everybody yeah. entertained for half an hour. It's, uh, that's been fun. But yeah, in terms of actual board games, I, I actually we haven't really got that no. much down. And unfortunately, a lot of what we own in our boarding cupboard is stuff that requires more than two of us. So unless yeah. we start teaching our our family of rats to play, we, yeah, we've sort of been somewhat scuppered on that. And I'm yeah. not sure that teaching them would go that well. No, and, <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I can see them playing a game of carcass on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they can be trained, but I think we'd also end up with a lot of chewed pieces. Yes. <laughs> yes, they they can be trained. That doesn't mean to say that they want. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's been more pub quizzes played and more general knowledge learned 
in the last three months yep. than at any yeah. other time in modern history. <clears throat> yep. Yeah, no, that's, I think that's a safe bet. Yeah. yeah our, our quizzes that we're having our, our friend group has been like more and more elaborate every week. So it started off just as a normal quiz and now everybody has to like top each other on a round. <laughs> well, we had to stop doing our hours after we got to a slightly ridiculous point where um, a friend of the show, Philip Ellis, decided he would do a general knowledge round that began with the question, what is my star sign? Um, there was some disagreement about whether or not that could be considered general knowledge or not. He felt it was. Yeah. <laughs> the rest I mean, of us did not. I mean, he is Bluetooth verified. That, that sounds like right? Phil. We are still on a, <laughs> <laughs> the last episode, and that yeah. sounds very much like that is normal, normality. Yeah. 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 yeah, so yeah. far in our quiz, we've had somebody play Disney theme, theme songs on a piano. And nice. I'm not sure I get it. But it was okay. kind of like badly played piano, so it was, ah. it was quite <laughs> difficult. Um, <laughs> my recent topping one has been the intros round, but I've reversed the music. Oh. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. yeah, I think that we, we well. had an intros round at one point, didn't we? Yeah, was that was, we, we didn't do too well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well it like when you have the... a 16-year-old playing them, then it's all things go, I don't know what any of this... Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So what what kind of geeky pursuits are you looking forward to doing post-lockdown? Yeah, so all our cosplay is gathering dust in the cupboard for another year, um, yeah. sadly. Wow. So I, I think yeah. that would be nice to yeah. to kick up again and get back out for things like that and see a lot of friends we haven't seen for quite a while who we usually take comms. That, that would be nice. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, there's been some good virtual stuff going on. Um, Wales Comic Con did a whole lot, and I think they're still with the Raditon more now. They did, um, over what should have been their con weekend, they did a load of virtual panels on Twitch, and they've just done a batch more. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I think San Diego Comic Con are doing something very similar as well. Yeah. Like yeah. a full-on live weekend of con stuff. It's quite, yeah, because <laughs> apparently, apparently they had a very similar one with, I think it was I think it was WonderCon in Anaheim, which is usually like the, the warm-up for San Diego. A lot of people were coming away, like coming away from the PCs, phones, whatever they're watching on, kind of underwhelmed. Hmm. It's a virtual con. Putting on a virtual con is going to be very hard because pretty much yeah. you can only really recreate the panel experience of a convention. You're never yeah. going to have that social aspect or mm-hmm. the. Uh, the merch aspect, or as you said, the cosplay aspect. How do you do a cosplay mm. competition from home? It doesn't. It's not going to have the same kind of. No. Impact. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been missing the convention scene a bit this year, as we'd have done at least two or three conventions by now as part of the show. Mm. And it's always good, fun to catch up with people in the press room and see how people have been getting on and what's going on. And Keith, have you been missing the con scene this year? Um, probably a little bit, not as much as I would have expected. Mm. Um, just because it's been easier on the pocket, which is one <laughs> upside. Oh yeah. Um, You've not been seeing Godzilla's every other week. <laughs> <laughs> no, trying trying to to pare that down. Um, but it's just shifted the way that you in, engage with people. Um, I think I've ended up kind of online. Uh, engagement a lot more than I would have mm. before, um, quite directly with with creators and, and stuff. But um, yeah, strange. I, you know, it's weird. Sometimes you kind of think, "Oh, it'd be really good to go and see that and do that." Um, yeah. But I think um, it's it's it hasn't quite struck 
just yet. I think because there's the chance that they won't happen again until this time next year, mm, yeah. I think then you'll start to feel, well, yeah, it would have been nice to have gone mm -hmm. and seen and um, met people and done that kind of thing. Yeah, I suppose very much so with the cosplay scene because conventions is pretty much the biggest place that you're going to meet other cosplayers on rotation. So I can imagine mm. it's probably the only place that you're going to see some friends who are going to travel quite far to a convention just to cosplay for that weekend. Yeah. Yeah, it was some of our photographer friends as well, and I think on a, you know, on a slide, on a serious note, it's difficult for people. I mean, we know several cosplay photographers who are really struggling at the moment because mm. obviously there's no conventions, so they're not making yeah. any money. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's an odd not, one. Not shoots, nothing. A lot yeah. of cosplayers, most cosplayers obviously do, do it for hobbies or the way they make the money is online. So lots of them have been doing really cool and really creative stuff. Lots of people have been using the time, mm. I think, to finish some of their own pile of shame of costumes they've half started <laughs> and never finished or starting to experiment with different ways of creating content from home, which has been quite cool. But, yeah, for people like the Togs, it's, uh, it's a bit tough, yeah. to say the least. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I mean, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, I've got to admit, like, one of the big ones that I've been missing... I'm, like in in my basically in my time away from the show, I've started working a lot of wrestling shows, doing sound, uh, like all the the sound and intro um, mm -hmm. videos stuff like that. And yeah, like my Twitter feed, obviously full of wrestlers and promoters stuff like that. There's a yeah. lot of guys out there who are hurting because obviously we can't put shows on. So, so you can't yeah. really have socially distant wrestling that kind of defeats the object. <laughs> exactly. And, you know. well, we get the weird things like, um, is it WWE been doing it in America with the shows with no audiences? Yeah. And it doesn't work. There's no... Mm. no it's just I, something about it. It's just a bit odd. Yeah, it was one of the things like... I, I, <laughs> you need um, a crowd for atmosphere. Yeah, I mean, I watched uh, WrestleMania, which is obviously the biggest show of the year in, in, what, in all of professional wrestling. Um, and it was, yeah, life, you know, where it's normally sort of from a massive stadium, 90, 100,000 people in attendance, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it was done at the Performance Centre in Orlando, no crowd. And, what, you know, like um, Drew McIntyre, who is the first ever UK-born uh, heavy, uh, world heavyweight champion and mm -hmm. is a friend of a friend, he, you know, he, he won that title at WrestleMania and it was fantastic to see but the fact that there wasn't the massive crowd pop and all the rest of it, it just kind of took it away from took away from it a little bit. And it's yeah. Just, it, it's just it, it's a bit of a shame that Drew never got that big WrestleMania moment like so many of the mm. other guys in the industry have. Yeah, I can imagine having the crowd behind you is going to be a completely different experience to yeah. performing to an empty stage. I mean, yeah, hopefully exactly. something that's probably going to be. I hope one thing that comes out at the end of this is people are a bit more appreciative of events and yeah. social geek things like conventions, like going to wrestling events, like going out and meeting your friends, and I think and going to tabletop games, playing magic, or doing D and D sessions, all that. I hope that people will be a bit more appreciative of mm -hmm. these going forward and understand it's it's very complex undertaking to this. For something like yeah. MCM, that is months and months of planning and scheduling, especially when you've got international guests, especially like Wales Comic Con, who rely on quite high-ticket international guests to fly in yeah. to be there for that time. And I think people got a bit blasé with the con experience because there were that many around. 
and I don't think you'll see some of the smaller cons come back, unfortunately. Yeah, that that's but, definitely been the problem with some of the the smaller shows that I've got for, like friends who work is that there's a lot of places that have just sh- you know, completely shut down. Yeah, and you're gonna lose some okay, of those spaces as well. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and like further, further, what you're saying, like the one of the big things I hope is that it, like, like, like you say, people are more appreciative of what's being put on, but also yeah. more encouraged to go because, like, I mean, it, like cons, um, a lot of a lot of stuff, attendances were starting to dwindle. Like, you know, you'd, mm-hmm. you'd, you'd get you'd, you'd get new people coming in all the time, but there'd be more yeah. people going out and coming in. So hopefully, yeah. this will sort of maybe start a bit of a resurgence and people going we yeah. used to do this and it was it was fun you know let's let's go back and do it yeah mm-hmm. and i hope people probably might have rekindled some hobbies and some passions that they've probably forgotten about or not had time for you might see quite a few people who have returned to something that they've kind of forgotten in the past so yeah hopefully you'll see some, yeah hopefully you'll see a new generation coming through and the return of an older generation maybe who've kind of neglected it a little bit due to um, faulting. I don't know. I mean, I'm hopeful that it's going to be like that. I hope it's not going to go the other way and that it just disappears in entirety and people just expect an online community going forward. I think there'll always be yeah. a place for like a physical convention. I completely agree. Yeah. But yeah, like I say, it's, it's that weird sort of there's got to be that that blending of the two now, because you know this. If, if nothing else, this has shown that stuff stuff that you know people just sort of said couldn't be done online because of you know because of like because it cost too much money or this or that or whatever, yeah. or you know like the technology wasn't there, whatever. It's been shown now that it doesn't cost too much. The technology is there. We can do this. This. Yeah. So so hopefully hopefully there's some sort of blending of the two and. Will encourage yeah. more of a, you know, more stuff going forward. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think the on. big thing with conventions is the self-discovery element of it, because online the virtual stuff is very regimented, very structured. So you're only given the content that those people are able to put out to you. Whereas when you're on the convention floor, you've got a lot of freedom of choice. You can, you know, talk to people that you wouldn't have talked to before. I mean, one of the beauties of, of the likes of, of cosplayers being there is that you will stop and chat and talk about the characters they've chosen, the work, the artistry that goes into that. So it's that engagement. You won't get that kind of thing online. You haven't got that opportunity to bump into somebody or turn a corner and there's a display or there's some merchandise that you think, wow, that, that's really good. You you haven't got that freedom, the, the the amount of space that you've got at a convention to be able to kind of discover things for yourself, which is part of the reason why you do it, is to go, I know I want to go and, and see that geezer out of Primeval or whatever it is, but usually what you come away from it was you, you bump and discover something you didn't know was going to be there, yeah. which you, you're not yeah. going to really get in the online one because you're kind of going to know it's going to be very structured, very regimented, mm-hmm. this will happen at one o'clock, this will happen at two, um, so you kind of already know what you've got going on there. Yeah, and I think you're also losing a bit of the networking side, especially with creators, especially for like the smaller, smaller press people that you'll see at convention who 
use these as great opportunities to network and you might be able to spitball an idea and come out with a new creative partner at the end of a convention if you find that you're gelling quite well and then it might be a great germination point for an idea for a new comic to come out come to market or it might be a case that you get your work gets seen by somebody in kind of marvel or dc or image who's there visiting and they might be reviewing portfolios at the same time and it might be the only chance that you can get your work in front of somebody like that for a quick review yeah, I don't think anything ever will ever replace the physical um, aspect of conventions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Anything else you're looking forward to, George and Dave? I was saying, yeah, for my food blog, I'm certainly looking forward to being able to go to restaurants again. That would be mm-hmm. nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not particularly geeky, but yeah, I'm ready for that. That would be good. Yeah, you can be a geek about food. Definitely am. Sadly, yeah. I'm just quite excited to go out and talk to people who aren't either my husband or one of our pet rats. That'd be really nice. I've sort of forgotten <laughs> how to communicate with other human beings in yeah. person now. So I'm a bit concerned yeah. about what that's going to be. I think I'm going to be. Able, um, I think I'm going to struggle with not being able to mute people in the future as well. <laughs> I think something I've really enjoyed about that. I think yeah. I finally learned now that you can just say, "Actually, I'm just going to go now because I don't want to do this anymore." Bye. Like if in in real life, I would yeah. never have done that. It would always be, "Oh, I can't come to this because I've got this other thing on," or "Oh, I'm going to have to go because I need to go and do this." Whereas now, everybody knows you've got anything better to do, so it's just <laughs> have to lean into. No, I'm not going to because I just don't want to. Yeah, and that's that's quite nice. <laughs> you can just press the end button. Yeah, or just mute the yeah, chat and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, I've, I've got to admit, like, as bad as it sounds, one of the big things I'm looking forward to is being able to travel for work again. <laughs> like, just, you know, yeah. like, for the, for the, I can, I've got the opportunity to travel pretty much around the world. Yeah. I haven't, haven't I, you know, the, the furthest I've gone is, is Barrow in, in Finesse. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Not around the world. No. But, like, I've got the op- option of going many other places, but obviously. Mm-hmm. The, the pandemic kind of the breaks on that so once yeah. things are maybe a little bit more back to normal it'd be nice to actually get out and see the world a bit to be yeah. honest i agree with you i have missed the commute a little bit because i can't really listen to an audiobook in the difference mm. between going from the bedroom to the front front office <laughs> i can't really squeeze in that hour of the wheel of time that i used to be able to yeah, if you want really slowly i do yeah. kind of miss yeah. that a little bit and it's great being able to, as I said, work from home. And I'm very lucky to be in a job that I can work from home full time. Uh-huh. A lot of people have unfortunately not been able to do that or been on furlough or maybe lost their role. So I, I do appreciate I've been incredibly lucky, both myself and my wife, to be working full time. But at the same time, not being out of the house during the day uh-huh. is still a very strange experience for me. I was freelance anyway and was already working from home, so it's not made massive, massive to me in that respect. But normally I would quite often spend at least one day a week co-working somewhere in town with Philip Ellis. And usually what happens is yeah. then we stop at lunchtime and go for a wine. And I can't do that now. Now I'm just sat in my house. I have to actually work. And, and you have a co-worker fun. next to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then so you have somebody else stealing the <laughs> Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and my desk. I've had to give up my desk and everything for him while he's working from home as well. It's, uh, yeah, it's no yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think... <laughs> all right. yeah, I think it's going to be a very different world after all this. Because for a long time, a lot of companies were saying that, no, you can't work from home because of, you know, like 
the tech, you know, we haven't got this, we haven't got the, the capability to do it, and all this sort of thing. And now companies are forced mm-hmm. to adapt and sort of to allow people to do that. So I'm yeah. hoping moving forward we see a bit, a bit of a better work-life balance, like yeah. like, like brought into the workforce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be good Cause, to see. You know, it's. Yeah, because I mean, let's more, be honest. More time for hobbies. Nobody wants to be working. For... Yeah. yeah, nobody wants to be working six, sixty hours a week, and you know, just come yeah. home, have some dinner, go to bed. So you know, if yeah. you've got that option of being a bit more flexible with your working hours, or sort of, you know, how, mm-hmm. where you work, it's going to be. Yeah. Better. I mean, um, some of the people at my workplace, they've changed their hours, and they're not in normal office hours. They're doing. The hours that suits around their lifestyle. Maybe they have small children, mm-hmm. or maybe they just work better first thing in the morning or later in the afternoon. So, been interesting yeah. to see that gradual shift from everybody starting to log in at nine till five to moving to yeah. the hours that suit their lifestyle a bit better. And I hope that's something yeah. that continues. Yeah, just, it's a, just it, like I it becomes health. less of a punch in the clock thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, been really good to catch up with you both. Hmm. Yeah, it's been nice to be back. Thanks for joining us, Mike. Thank you for having us. Keith, you have a few store openings you want to update us on? Well, update is a big word. (laughs) It's it's more (laughs) the fact that I think people have noticed since uh, the 15th of July, 15th of June, that's going to be too hard, it is. A lot of (laughs) shops have started to reopen. Um, So, certainly within Birmingham, uh, Worlds Apart, and Forbidden Planet have opened their doors again um, so you are able to go and shop uh, for those things and a lot of the comic shops around the country have also reopened um, yeah all i would say for people at the moment is to kind of check the social media for your local stores and just to see uh, how they've changed their opening hours and operation um, because obviously you can't just kind of flood into the shop there's no way that yeah. you can do that and from personal experience, most of the comic sections in these shops are hidden away, down or upstairs, which aren't particularly mm-hmm. social distancing friendly. Um, <laughs> so I'm sure that if you've got standing orders or whatever with those stores as time goes on, and obviously we're in a strange situation, so there'll be a backlog of books. There'll possibly also be some delays in comics. DC having recently changed their whole distribution um, mm-hmm. network from diamond to whatever it is they're doing. So things may change. Um, so I'd say really get in touch with your shop, add things to your full list, see if they will mail things out to you. Um, mm-hmm. But generally for the, for the time being until things do start to yeah. become a little bit more normal is just to be patient and yeah. just to be considerate with those stops. And if you do go in the store, just thank the staff for being there um, because I'm sure that, you know, in this kind of crazy world, um, you know, they they want people to be nice to them. So be nice. Thank yeah. thank your staff and 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 be be kind to them. Um, yeah. But if you haven't actually got to go to the shop and you can get stuff sent out, just give the stores a ring. I'm sure they'll be more than happy to yeah. um, service their clients that way. Probably be better. But we don't want to overwhelm shops at the moment. And no. I think <laughs> lots of other places will be opening. Um, and if you do go, kind of know what you want to buy before you go. Yeah. Because you won't yeah, have a lot of time to, to browse. Yeah, so don't forget to pay for your back orders as well. Because I'm sure yeah. probably quite a lot of shops have been struggling over the last few few months with no zero or non-existent revenue coming in. So 
every penny probably helps at the minute. So if you can yeah. pay off some of your back issues, it might be an idea to do that if you've got the funds available. Yeah, which I think will be the thing for a lot of people at the time is kind of managing those budgets as, as time goes on. Um, but even if even if you're just reaching out to the store and welcoming them, welcoming, welcoming, <laughs> welcoming them back, eating seafood with them, just, just be nice. <laughs> yeah, it's a frog in my throat or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. So just be nice. Just reach out and say, "Glad you're back. How can I help you? How can I give you money for a product?" Um, mm-hmm. So I'm sure that the, the, the shops will be kind of more than happy to go. We'll mail you out. Those comics will mail you out that um, exclusive Warhammer uh, 40,000 McFarlane figure, which I'm, I'm not ordering right now. Uh, I haven't placed one of those. Don't and, tell anybody I know. And don't fondle the merchandise either, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so just, but, just, yeah. Be, um, just be considerate and patient, really. I think. Yeah, um, keep an eye on social media feeds. I know Geek Retreat's reopening as well, so keep an eye on the other smaller more independent chains that you might see yeah there's places like entertainment world yeah um, i think it's sheldon that um is kind of having to make a lot of changes because obviously that though that the, their spaces aren't that big yeah um, so again it's the case that you might only have one person in the shop at a time mm. um, to be able yeah. to keep the kind of social distancing stuff in there so again yeah. maybe plan ahead ring yeah uh, and just kind of be, be prepared to wait Maybe yeah. it'll be worth it in the end. You'll walk away with some great comics or vintage video games or figures or whatever it is. So um, you'll you'll be okay. Yeah, in the words of the most recent Bill and Ted three trailer, be excellent to each other. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us on the Geeky Brummy podcast this week. Uh, Keith, where can we find you online? You can find me researching pressure washers on. Um, <laughs> Pressure washers. Is there a Tinder for pressure washers? I should have gone there, left and right. Don't, don't look that up. Surely somewhere. Um, but otherwise, you can find my. There'll be a niche somewhere, Keith. Yeah. It's a new niche. Yeah. Oh, that nozzle's particularly uh, good. Um, there is, there is you, a subweb Reddit called pressure washing porn. If 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 you feel inclined, Keith. Where no, you can see fr- freshly pressure washed, pressure washed patios to your heart's content. <laughs> I'm far happier that my browser history is full of research for McFarlane Warhammer figures. <laughs> Quite happy for that to be the case. Um, no, but otherwise you can find my demented rantings on hardlook underscore hotel on Twitter without the underscore uh, pretty much everywhere else. And generally uh, on a Wednesday on the Geeky Brummy website and manning the Geeky Brummy Twitter. Lee, where can we find your exploits online? Uh, you can find me on YouTube at Bob the Pet Ferret. Um, I also have a Patreon under the same name. And if you go on Twitter and look up that name, you get updates on the channel. But I'm also just generally tweeting at the Cheap Ferret as well. And every Friday, I've got my gaming room. Matt, where can we find you online? Um, you can follow me on Instagram with at Mr. Matchstick Matt or on Twitter at Mr. Matt Level. And George and Dave, where can we find you both online? Um, I'm currently on a little bit of a social media hiatus, but um, I'm still still in existence. Uh, Aces and Armour on Twitter and mm-hmm. DWIT3187 on in, uh, Twitter. 
George? I was really tempted to do Phil's spiel because I can still remember it by heart, but I'm not going to. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me uh, at Caramel Latte Kiss, uh, one L on Twitter, two on Instagram, where you will find me either posting of my lunch or yell out food feminism and captain marvel's cat if you would like to see adorable pictures of uh, our pet rats many adventures they're having far more fun than we're at the moment um and they're all named after x-men you can find them on instagram at ratty rat bags lovely to have you both back uh you can find me at ryan parish on the twitters and probably go mom when i actually do remember that i do have a food blog it occasionally gets updated <laughs> usually when I kick the mothballs out of it. Uh, but <laughs> over on the Geeky Brewery website and on the Geeky Brewery YouTube channel and on the Geeky Brewery Twitter and on the Geeky Brewery Facebook and on Geeky Brewery Instagram, when I also remind to do that. But I um, want to point a few things out. We've currently entered the My Roadcast competition. You can find a tweet about that on our Twitter feed. Uh, it would be great if you just listen to that. Me and Keith made a quick, short, two-minute episode that you can listen to with your heart's content. And if you think it's of nice quality, just give it a quick vote on the My Roadcast website. Link will be in the description. You can do all um, of that in the time it takes you to make a cup of tea. Unless, of Keith's... course, you use that horrendous microwave method. <laughs> I've only just gone over that video, Keith. Don't, don't give me PTSD on that I one. Still, I still haven't. <laughs> I don't even drink tea, and that gave me nightmares. Yeah. Yeah. And we're also uh, requesting submissions. So if you want to write on the Geeky Brewery website, or if you want to make a short audio piece to add into the podcast, uh, drop an email to hello at geekybrewery.com or have a look at our update, update post on the website. Uh, where we also talk about our response to Black Lives Matter and how we want to start having a more wider range of influences into the show. So if you are interested, just drop us a message on, on one of the social medias or drop us an email. And also, if you were wondering where the podcast was two weeks ago, it was actually on our YouTube channel where me, um, Keith and Lee were in virtual Animal Crossing form. Yes, so, <laughs> my, my home studio on... <laughs> My island of Ferrotopia. I don't know about this camera. I don't know. Wait, what's this virtual thing? That's what I actually look like in real life. <laughs> <laughs> well, the bit with the bag over the head was probably a bit accurate. <laughs> I frequently dress like a vampire magician. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we had fun with our first virtual podcast over on the Geeky Brummy YouTube channel. So just go onto YouTube and pop in Geeky Brummy. We'll pop up and have a watch there. But otherwise, as I said, every Wednesday, Keys Comic Update, every Friday, Lee's Gaming Update, and plus other content in between. And But for me, that's pretty much for this it for this week. Very much thanks again to George and Dave for rejoining us this week. Uh, but for now, bye, everybody. Bye. Don't wait. Bye. See ya. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> The waving doesn't work, Keith. We've talked about this before. <laughs> Just because I can see myself doesn't mean everybody else can. It is weird, isn't it? To wave. Like, yeah. I would never leave a work meeting by waving, but because you're on the camera, you do. Why? Yeah. <laughs> Just think that's, this is a good thing to do. <laughs> <laughs>